Hi, I'm Jen. I love watching horror movies. I also have PTSD and I go to a lot of therapy. I'm Lara. I have anxiety and depression and love having the shit scared out of me. Wait, what? I'm Mike. I'm a therapist and I love talking about horror movies and mental health. <laughs> we love horror films for how much they scare us and for how much they help us. Because we love talking about mental health, aka how crazy we are, and the role the horror genre can play in our self-care, we started a podcast called Psycho Analysis. Every episode, we talk about a movie and how it relates to a different topic in mental health and wellness, whether it's a deep dive or a shorter episode of a movie that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. But not in a weird way. Unless we're talking about hot horror sweaters, because then it is very weird. True. Very weird. <laughs> Our episodes drop every Thursday on the Consequence Podcast Network. Listen to find out how, how horror can, can heal. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners. I am Jen to the Rage Adams, and I am leading my first official episode of the Losers Club. So get ready for some weirdness, probably. <laughs> but, you know, if we were going to have a weird episode, this is the one because we are going to Sin City and we are talking about episode five of The Stand, which is titled Fear and Loathing in New Vegas, unless it's titled Suspicious I was going to say they changed the title about like, a couple of weeks ago, which is strange. I don't I don't know. I know. I was hearing the Elvis song in my head when I was uh, get preparing to watch. But, you know, I like both those titles. I think they yeah. work. Um, but Vegas is really not fun by yourself. So I'm going to jump in my sin wagon <laughs> and head north <laughs> and head north to Chicago to the person whose voice you just heard. So who do we have joining Well, wow, this us? is Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman. No ties whatsoever to the stand. Um, just keeping it Pittsburgh as always. Uh, excited. To talk about uh, episode five, um, which is interesting because uh, you know, as though it's called uh, "Fear and Loathing in New Vegas," I actually think uh, it should have been called another Terry Gilliam movie, uh, "Spies Like Us." So, just gonna put that out there. But uh, yeah, I mean, actually, he didn't direct that movie; he just starred in it. So, I thought the link was okay and appropriate. So, don't come at me, please. Um, it but works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, hop on in our wagon and we're going <laughs> to head west. <laughs> we're going to head to Iowa to pick up our next laser. Ooh, I want to get into the sin wagon. This is, <laughs> it's fun. Uh, yeah, it looks, I feel like Fred Schneider, like, let me into the sin wagon. So hurry up and get your <laughs> sin wagon money. <laughs> uh, this is Mel. Are you going to kiss <laughs> Castle? <laughs> I am really excited to join a stand recap episode. It is my first stand recap episode. It seems a lovely confluence. Like we go to Vegas and all of a sudden I appear. I just think mm. that might suggest that I would have headed to Vegas over Boulder, perhaps. <laughs> um, I'm super excited to get into it. It's it's a real pivot in the series. So um, yeah, I am buckled into this sin wagon. Yeah, this will be fun. <laughs> well, it's not full yet because we have a special guest joining us from Toronto. 
Hello, I am Joe Baby. <laughs> Yay! And is this your first Losers Club episode? This is, yes. I've had the pleasure of guesting on a Halloweenies episode, but I never thought I'd be invited to come on a Stephen King podcast. This is very fun. This is uh, unprecedented uh, because (laughs) this will be interesting because, you know, I've been on, I've talked Stephen King with you, though. uh, This is true. Because I've been on your other podcast talking about uh, Stand By Me, The Body, actually. Well, both, I guess, technically. So yes, I have I have hosted Mr. Rothman twice. So you appeared. <laughs> oh yes, on that's true. Our, oh it, chapter one episode for horror queers, and then yes, my my little baby episode uh, of Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, which is a young adult literature podcast. Blah blah blah. Yes, you were kind enough to come and talk about the stand and the body. Well, I'm excited to keep this Stephen King tradition alive. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Can you say again well, and- the, the podcast that you're on, Joe? Sure, yeah. So uh, the one that most people know me for is Horror Queers, which is a queer horror podcast. And then I also have a young adult literature podcast, which is Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. And they are both wonderful podcasts, so make sure to check them out. Um, But let's talk about this episode. Um, And there's a lot to talk about. So we're going to start with our first section called The Road So Far, which is an awesome song. You know, it is an awesome so, song. I, I I love that song, but I know that you love that song even more because... I do, we are, yes. We are literally the only people that like Supernatural on this podcast, so... You know. That's that true. song has been stuck in my head since I started listening to these recaps. It's a great song. The snippet that I've Me heard too. of it is very catchy. Yeah, it yeah. really is. And then it goes into a single man tear in my head, which is... Mm. It's just a great episode. And you know what? You know, watch it alone. It's okay. Yeah. Like, you can pull it out of all 15 seasons. You really can. Fantastic. It actually is, like, one of those... <laughs> One oh few standalone episodes. You, I, I'm telling you, Mel, put it on, and I swear to God, you'll like it. It's so funny. It's literally just. Oh my gosh! The whole episode is literally like. Um, it's called fan fiction, and uh, that's the title, right? Fan fiction is it? Yeah, okay. fan fiction. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then so basically, it's a school play of Supernatural, which in the show Supernatural is a graphic novel series, or not graphic novels. It's a, it's an, it's a. A series, a book series. I think it's a graphic novel. Yeah, it's, it's like the novels. third season of Digimon when they put the first season into a card game for the real world, quote yeah. unquote, people. Exactly. Anyway, it's, yeah. this Nobody's is a podcast exactly like about CBS All Access is That's the right. stand. It should be right. noted. Should... I actually... Oh, go for it. I... I actually took bets on what would come up for Supernatural or Breaking Bad. So, oh, uh, really? Well done, both. <laughs> I of bet you. you didn't expect Digimon before Breaking Bad, but that's the uh, that's the unpredictable not, element you, that I introduced to the podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's the wild card. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> well, so I do have an access point for Breaking Bad. Rest assured. So oh, we just know. Let, oh. Just, just putting it there. <laughs> you got to mark our bingo uh-huh. cards. You know. Yeah. Um, so the road so far, that's a reference to the best episode of Supernatural. Everyone should watch it. Um, where we talk about what happens in this episode and the events leading up to it. And so I'm going to kind of recap and then we can kind of talk about some of the stuff along the way. Um, but the first thing I want to note is the recaps of these episodes are really doing a lot of work. And (laughs) when, you know, I think we binge shows so much now that you don't necessarily need those previously ons, you know, but this one. I felt really set up the episode well, you know, which I mean, 
you could read as an indictment or as like a, a plus, but it, it was like, oh yeah, that thing. Oh yeah, that thing and that person, which it reminded me of one of those episodes of the West Wing where they just say their name and their position and it just rattles through <laughs> everything, you know? I, I, you know, it's, it's funny because it, whenever you binge shows or... I guess because they, they do still show those like previously. I mean, look, we talked about Supernatural and they do that on Netflix. They show the road so far on, on multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. And what I love usually with previously ons is that they tend to spoil the episode coming on because you see guests mm-hmm. that maybe were like three seasons ahead of time. <laughs> oh, they're back. Okay. That's going to have substantial value here in this episode, right. which would have been a surprise otherwise. Um, but with mm-hmm. th- what's so different and what's interesting about the stand here is that like, you know, People are throwing up like when they throw these characters on, you're like, oh, yeah, that was two or three episodes ago. But yet, because of how much story it is, it does feel like two seasons ago almost like which is kind right. of funny. Like, I love I that we're recapping the recap. So, That's I know. Right. a whole <laughs> yeah. new level. That's, and also, I think just and also, I think just because so often uh, you're like, who is that character? Because they got two minutes of. Yes. Time. Oh, my God. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, I think, going to come up later in this episode when we talk about Larry and Nadine. Like, we needed this establishing shot to remember that they know each other, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, you know, (laughs) spoilers for some of my thoughts. But um, so anyways, we start with Julie and Lloyd at what we will find out is the Hoover Dam. And they meet a plucky young welder named Flashdance, who we also know as Dana Jurgens, who I absolutely love and she's been asking questions and they had (laughs) about the business or whatever and so that's the uh invitation into the sexy times with lloyd and julie it sounds like the extent um, of the questions that dana has been asking are like where's randall flag can i meet him who can introduce me to randall flag who's this randall flag guy just asking like no nuance whatsoever like Right. Don't mind my detective's notebook, you know, or my secret spy badge, you know. Um, Yeah. So that's um, setting up kind of this is going to be a Dana episode, which I'm excited because I love her. Um, And so we see the strip now. We like kind of overhead shot from the Hoover Dam, which I think is the Hoover Dam, right? I think so. Yeah. I I mean, I only not abreast of my dam knowledge. I will say the only reason why I know it's the Hoover Dam is because of two films, Beavis and Butthead and Vegas Vacation. So um, it has (laughs) nothing to do with to say what dam this is. Oh, suffice to say it's a dam. Yeah. Um, It's it's effective, I guess. Yes, it is a big dam. Dam. The show Um, looks great, mm -hmm, by the way, mm -hmm. too. This is the first time I feel like the show has actually embraced a sense of scope. Yes. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Because beforehand, it's like, I mean, you get some wide open shots here and there, but like they're very spare and they don't linger on them very much. And this this does feel like the first episode in probably the whole season I think where you do get a sense of like wow there's a whole world we're here in like because it it felt like yeah I agree so I I have no idea how big new boulder Mm -hmm. or sorry not new boulder uh, (laughs) the boulder free zone I have no idea how big it is right yeah she Nadine walks out of a house at one point and they see a street and it's just kind of startling to see that much space around a character you know I feel like they flirted with us a little bit in episode two with the the bridge and in New York but you know it's I don't know yeah I agree and so we go to the strip and I feel like we need the the guitar music in the background (laughs) except it's not that guitar music this time Uh it's that what's the song that's playing 
They're playing It's Not Unusual by Tom Jones. Uh, that's which right. I thought was yeah, a little which I kind of like. I love that song, and I love Tom Jones, but I felt like they use like... My, I've, really obvious I, Yeah, cues. like I've, I've really been praising <laughs> yeah. a lot of the needle drops in the last few episodes, but like this one I was like, you know, it's like, hey, we're in Vegas. Uh, hey, how about Tom Jones? Like, what? Like, come on. That's the most mm-hmm. obvious one. Like, I almost would have respected it more if it was, like, The Killers or something like that. Like, I mean, at least mm. a modern take or something. Even though that that would be on the nose. But at least it would be something new and unique. Like, be like, wow, they pulled out a song from, like, you know, their fourth album. You know, like, that, that would have been interesting. But Tom Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a Chippendales theme. Give yeah. us a Celine Dion track. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's a reference to uh, Tom Cullen mm. because that is the first character that we see. Well I don't think done, it's actually Jen. She is that on was this a reach, track. But I, liked I love it. it. <laughs> uh, it's you know, it's really subtle, you know. Um, but so we see him show up, and we we learn two things: that there are slave cages, and that anyone who comes here as a voluntary citizen is a, anyone who comes here voluntarily is a citizen, and there's no question about that. Which um, you know, I'm interested to see how that goes because, you know. And they get a job. I, I don't. They're assigned a job. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <clears throat> and it it's might be. It's good that in a world of freedom, everybody still gets a job. Yeah. Like, it is, yeah. Capitalism still exists in this right. new reality. Unless you happen to be thrown in the slave cage and then, you know, I yeah. guess fuck you, you know. Um, you end up in just a hostile remake, but, um, <laughs> so yeah, part three, part three, yeah. part three. <laughs> Vegas vacation. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's a very interesting take on, uh, Vegas and by interesting, I mean, very like antiquated, um, you know, mm-hmm. based on what we see already, it, it, it just seems so, you know, in the old Stan recaps that we did and by old, I mean like six months ago, um, when we were, you know, beginning of the pandemic, you know, I harped on Mick Garris's adaptation as being like way too Christian and like and puritanical and Hallmarkian. And for the most part, you know, this this new stand, I feel, has kind of bypassed that a little bit. But, man, it went right back. It went smack dab into the sort of shit that you'd see on like Touched by an Angel in like 1999. Like, I, I just I can't believe how sex is bad bdsm is weird and and it also feels like i mean we could go into this more with the characters and stuff like that but there just seems to be this very like pessimistic look and very pointed look at you know being sexually free it's so it's it's uh so strange because of course it's all part and parcel with the problem of trying to fit everything into too small a package the co- the only way to achieve contrast when you have no time is to like pour all of your energy into an aesthetic that's going yep. to be a contrast to what we've seen and unfortunately what we've seen is like i'm the good old boy white guy who's just going to marry the like little pregnant lady and we're this great community and they're like okay so the opposite of that is like leather and the big city. Yeah. <laughs> right. Old country mm. values versus and, a den of vice. And, and vice is right. uh, when people of the same sex make out. Yeah. No, and that, and that's another thing that's weird because it's like, I mean, I guess Dana, it's inferred in the last episode that Dana, you know, is queer. But 
at the same time, it's not really. They kind of pull their punches there because in the book it's explicit. You know, like they Mm -hmm. they talk about that. And then like in this, it's just like, well, it's not inferred. So then you really don't have any sort of queer representation in Boulder. So when they actually have that down in Vegas, it's like, it's, it's days equal bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like, part of the aesthetic contrast. You reduce yeah. them to an aesthetic contrast. And the other problem is I feel like we have not been told in any kind of implicit or explicit terms what the actual difference is between these two places. Mm-hmm. Like there are suggestions yeah. and we'll yeah. get into them, I'm sure. And maybe we can formulate right. our own opinions about like what it means to be in Boulder versus what it means to be in Vegas. But right. <laughs> you're kind of left to... to make a pastiche out of all of the uh, weird imagery and infer that like, okay, so you're, it just means that you're gay. <laughs> like, yeah, I, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. And, and mm-hmm. it even goes beyond that. And, and again, this is kind of going into too much of the characters, I guess, but like what I've noticed, it, it kind of started with when the introduction of Lloyd where, um, and it, it, and it continues later on with a character that I, you know, we can't really talk about right now, but he appears in, in episode six, but like there's this, you know, the sexually fluid characters that actually that happen to have more effeminate qualities and and certainly seem more pansexual um, are all bad. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? Like, it just seems so antiquated. Like, that's the only word I can think of. It's just, it really kind of goes back into like the whole thing I had a problem with when constant listeners, if you remember when we talked about like the, um, what was it? I always forget the fucking word. Assembly hall, town hall meeting or whatever. And the original McGarris mm-hmm. one, I talked about how like uber Christian it was and how interesting it was that we have like this all white. <laughs> we, we talked about how this uh, had this like all white crowd in front of this, you know, pilgrimage, uh, it, you know, in the background, this tapestry and how like weird that was. And just like kind of like um, hypocritical in a way, but like it, it was just very like very uber Christian and like, this just feels like it's dialing back that and like that we haven't like learned anything in like 25, 26, 27 years, I guess at this point, mm-hmm. 1994, 19, I guess 26. Yeah, whatever. I'm going with that. That is also what current Boulder looks like to be fair. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's also, they packed it all in, in such a tight space all at once. Like, We'll get into, I'm sure, this, but like Randall Flagg even mentioning that he had a male lover at one point is like, I know. Snuck, mm-hmm. He's like snuck into this episode. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I totally forgot it. I've read The Stand multiple times, but I, it's been years since my last reread. I remember loving the character of Dana, and I was so excited when she became a central point of this episode. I did not remember that she was queer in the book, and I did not pick up on. <laughs> Like, it read to me as though she was a hetero person being forced to, like, make out with Julie rather than, like, oh, someone right. with, like, any any actual undertones of queerness. Well, I'm not wrong about that. I'm, yeah, like, she has no agency, no. so she's yeah. doing what she can to survive. That's how mm-hmm. I read it, too, Mel. Exactly, yeah. And she is, it, it, but she doesn't do anything to show that in the book. It's just Stu and Franny talking about, oh, she doesn't like men. And then Stu, like, realizing that, like gay people exist in the world so you that, know? that which so i'm not wrong though jenna like because i, I no, remember that from Riri. okay cool cool i just oh, yeah I'm and not i think totally it's kind of, of implied that maybe she and, Stu, okay. and sue might be in a relationship but like there's no evidence to it and then in the book she's with lloyd alone mm-hmm. because julie and lloyd uh, are not I, together yeah. in the book i love right. those scenes because it also i guess in that sense too her queerness really adds to her to how capable we believe she is as a spy to like be Lloyd's mm-hmm. girl when she's in Vegas. That's such a, that's such a, that's such good spy work. <laughs> like, right. 
mm-hmm. compared to the show. Compared to the show. Hey, where's Randall Flagg? Have you seen Randall Flagg? I hear about this guy named Randall No Flagg. reason. I'm not, exactly. I'm not asking for a reason. Oh, no. Doing any crimes around here? Um, you know? Sorry, Jen. Are we... Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. We've no, no, no. We're, I mean... In. That's <laughs> no, this section is um, always crazy because we're doing a whole right. It's always just been uh, tangent after tangent. After we tangent. all have thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> we do. We have a lot Listen. of thoughts. And I feel like it's like it, it started with the episodes where like the Mars and Scar section was really heavy because we were meeting new characters, you know, and now like we're not really seeing many new characters. We're just seeing them do different things. Well, worth noting, um, too, this is but, the first episode with no flashbacks, right? The, the structure is. is entirely Thank different. God, <laughs> Joe's happy. Yeah, I was. I was trying to like think if there. I guess there was like oh. kind of weird flash forwards. Maybe no, no, that's not even it either. No, no I guess there is. It's just, I think yeah. it's just because it's going back and forth between the two locations. Yeah, yeah is that's really interesting. It, you know, hmm. there is one tiny flashback where we see Nadine and Larry. That's what it was. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But it's so. Is that what that was? I did so, not understand. I think so. That. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was basically I, that, exactly, it was like exactly placed so that when you get to that point, you're like, oh, now we know. Like, right. But there was never but we that. we haven't seen it in exactly. an episode. It's crazy. Like, do they try, uh, yeah. we're going to head ourselves. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I got some thoughts about that whole thing, how that goes down. Um, well, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so we leave debauchery in the casino and we go to Harold and Nadine, and they have staged the death of Teddy Wyzak, which happened at the last, at the end of the last episode. They've staged it as a suicide, um, and put him in the amphitheater. And so this is this is an interesting scene, I think, because Harold, I called him Hawk here because he felt like Hawk in this mm-hmm. scene, because he's saying, you know we can just leave we can like I feel like he's kind of mourning Teddy's death and that was like the one real connection that he had um and the, so we kind of get a sense that the relationship is tense and there they have a couple of more scenes um throughout the episode but the overall sense I got is that like the only way they relate to each other is through sex and like she whenever she just wants to do in him to do anything she just grabs his dick you know they they don't works. like each other yeah. neither of them like each other and right it's you know <laughs> which seems, yeah which Dynamic. seems par for the book because i mean like if i recall like you know look it's been like four years but i do feel like nadine lowes harold and it's like one of the, it's almost like a parallel to dana with lloyd in the sense. So mm-hmm. it, it seems fitting that they would have that focus in the, in these episodes, but like, or in this episode, but um, again, you kind of need a little bit more with them together because we only really had that one scene in the last episode where, you know, she's coming on to Harold and we don't really get that. We only just get like sort of their like hush hush discussions here and there throughout this episode, which is again, we, you know, we take what we get little pieces of the puzzle and that's. Yeah. Well, and this is the only, the first episode where we see Nadine have any kind of choice or agency. And even then it's very little. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I, I still kind of, I can't figure out if I like this episode for Nadine, but I like that she at least has some kind of like thought process of her own it also really clearly shows how manipulated she has been by flag which i think is why the the relationship with harold feels so weird to me because it doesn't feel like nadine at all it feels like she is literally a tool of randall flag you know and it's not she did not make a choice to help him in this way she just 
had to. And I think she even says that when she has a dream with him. But Well, I think it's uncomfortable because from what we know of the series, like the way they presented it, where Nadine was groomed from the age of 12, mm-hmm. you know, we're watching someone who has basically been victimized, then turn and become a victimizer yeah. anew because she is now grooming Harold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's the moment where he is talking to her, like, we can just leave. It's okay. And she, it's almost you can see her flip into that. Like, he grabs her face, and she's like, okay, I know how to handle this situation because this yeah. is what I'm used to, you know? And it, it kind of broke my heart a little bit for her character and for the fact that we don't get more of her story because I think she is such a fascinating character, and I don't think there's any version of this story where she has really been fairly explored you know what i mean she's a different person in every scene she's in i mean they did Mm -hmm. her so dirty Mm -hmm. they do many characters so dirty but i just feel like she that character deserves a win and she never gets one no so interesting mel because nadine is by far my most beloved character in all of these iterations but i particularly think that she's the most fleshed out uh boulder citizen in this new series like And I think part of it is that I do like Amber Heard in the role, but I think that she's the most nuanced and developed character on this new series. I mean, certainly they do. Should we save this for Mars and Scars, Mike? No, no, you can still still talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, we can go for it. I feel like Mars and Scars is more for like, we we could talk about performances and stuff like that too. So this is more just like character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do feel that you see the most different sides of a person when we focus on Nadine. So in that sense, like we we could definitely like I would say they are aiming for nuance and that she does have to keep flipping between all of the different facets of her struggle and her personality. I don't like Amber Heard in the role and I feel like I just feel like there's no base. Like I think one of my main problems with the show is that the only way that characters get developed is in relation to each other like (laughs) it's purely reactionary and Mm -hmm. it just feels like she suffers the most from that like she does she, yeah. oh, it's because it's the whole set, the whole show is set up like a rube goldberg experiment like i mean it's like one thing has to hit the other and then one thing has to hit that one and i agree in the sense that like nadine certainly is is nuanced but it it's dependent on a variety of factors that are only given to us intermittently and by the time we get some of these pieces it often feels uh very after the fact like we've already kind of mm-hmm. developed some of our our uh, feelings towards this character so that when you get into the conflict, the, the idea of this conflictive notion of like choice, it's like, well, you've already implied that she's destined for this anyway. And that's, that's my problem right. with Nadine in general with, with regards to how King wrote her is that, you know, you make it, you, this whole book is basically destined. I mean, down to the fucking book cover about good and evil, right? So you mm-hmm. have choice between light and dark. And yet, so many characters don't... And no in-between. Yeah, and there's no in-between, because yeah. God forbid we have a yeah. gray area in this world. That's what Cobra Kai is for, I guess. <laughs> That's Salt Lake City. But, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Salt Lake City, yeah. We'll go to Sundance. It's Brigham we'll Young see- University. <laughs> the people yeah. Can- <laughs> but... Ooh, yeah, that's where nuance lives, <laughs> Yeah, <right>? totally. <laughs> But like it's. But I think that's why I like Nadine because she be, she's the closest that we she get is. to a gray area. But he doesn't know what to do with that though. Like he does because like because in the book it's like he writes it as like she's destined to do this. But then she's also but he also wants to write it like where he can like she wants to like fight against it. But like 
Mm-hmm. Why didn't you just start from the get-go? That was a choice. Like, it doesn't have to be this. It, it just feels, it always had felt, and I've talked about this in the book episodes. I've talked about this in the miniseries episode, and here I am talking about it on this one. But, like, it has always felt like Nadine is kind of like the character that, like, has been one foot in one door and one foot in the other. Like, and it's just, it's frustrated me from day one. Yeah, like, I miss seeing I that torment. She's just so tormented in the book. And I feel like in yeah. the show, they only show her when she's on one side or the other. Like, the pendulum is al- is always, like, firmly aligned. The only moment of torment mm-hmm. we do get is when she goes to Larry. Yeah. Um, yes, that's why, yeah. This, uh, that's why this episode is so good, because we get New Vegas and we get that scene. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, and honestly, I do really like that, that That's what I live for. I don't give a shit about any of the Herald dinner stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. I love the I don't care about any of that. <laughs> we love it. I don't think it. Because I don't think it works. Uh, None of it works for me, but all oh, of the New Vegas stuff, at least it's giving us something new. Like, it, mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to tear it to shreds here, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's but, right. it's but at least it's through yeah. an interesting character. <laughs> like it, it, this, for me, this episode is dominated by two interesting, complicated women, and that's mm-hmm. all I can ask for because I'm so tired of Franny and her righteousness and Stu and his boringness and Harold and his obvious creepiness. Like they're all ciphers, whereas at least Nadine and um, Dana. Uh, Natalie Martinez, Dana, thank you, Dana with a Y. <laughs> I, at least they both have interesting things that they're trying to work through. And you're mm-hmm. right, Mel, they're absolutely not successful. And a large part of it is because there's too many fucking characters, not enough episodes, and they're mm-hmm. just trying to cram as much shit into this as they can. I mean, imagine if this yeah. if this should have been just Vegas, right? Like, I mean, we've spent so much yes. time in Boulder. This episode yes. should have just mm-hmm. been Vegas. It, it, we don't need to cross cut. No, and we absolutely right. don't need that. The, yeah. the opposing well, side and- deserves the amount of attention that will elevate it yep. to the status of a an intimidating antagonist and also give us more of, again, like, what does evil mean in this mm-hmm. world? Like, mm-hmm. I, right. I think the closest yeah. we get is, is, of course, like, the individualist versus the collectivist model. There's the line that, that mm-hmm. Lloyd has, I think, where he's like, you can be anything you want. It's just a question of motivation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's but weird it's, because, like, it doesn't quite hold together no. because at the end, no. Flag is saying, I'm establishing order. That's what's protecting you from the Garveys of the right. world. And his way of doing that is having some guy in a pool with a chainsaw. Like, <laughs> yes. that's, that's not order, you know? I love the gladiatorial then, pool. Like, there's never a match going on. It's just covered in body yeah, I parts. Know. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, thank goodness. I didn't want to see no, that, but, but I was like... And there's also drug use in Vegas, which I mean, that's mm-hmm. I'm not making a judgment on that. But in the book, like that is something that Flag is adamant against. And like somebody even gets crucified because they were caught using drugs. And I think that is the juxtaposition between the free zone and New Vegas in the book that I see. And here it's like they're cro- they're meshing because in Boulder, we also have Franny saying, well, I'm supposed to ask if you'll take responsibility for him. And I'm supposed to ask if you're having the dreams. And there's this weird, like, order that is trying to be established there when that is the, that's the city where you can express yourself and you can be who you want to be and you can love who you want or it should be. And that's just the place where we pray and Vegas is the place where we have sex. That's, and that's, weird. and that's the big, you know, capital P problematic notion of this episode or aspect of this episode. And it's something that like Randall and I were joking about like crazy during the miniseries rewatch when that like, you know, we watched the McGarris one. It's like, all right, Vegas is, you know, a place where everyone, you know, 
appear sinful at the surface level, right? Like, you know, you have businessmen carrying guns. You have motorcyclists carrying guns. There's garbage on fire for some reason in the streets. Like, okay, great. At surface level, we know that this place is not great. Um, And then, but the thing is, is that like, that's a failure on the adaptation for Stephen King. Because as you mentioned, like, you know, that's the, the drugs are outlawed in the book. It's actually a very normal sort of looking place in the book because, yeah, granted, mm-hmm. you have some crucifixions, you know, outside of town or whatever. That's a little out, out there. there. But there's yeah. still like, like there, but there are like families there. There, are, you know, at one point in the book, I believe he like describes um, uh, what was it when Tom comes to work or something like that or when he's working on the construction crew. And it's just a bunch of like, you know, blue collar workers just talking up about regular stuff and like. Again, you can't do that. To Mel's point, like you can't do that in, in in this type of format because you have to like just go like loud and crazy to make your point in such a little bit of time. But, but Vegas should be earnestly appealing, I think is what yes, you're saying. Like, right. it's exactly. Just, it should yeah. be able to tempt a layman. And like yeah. this is just like who 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 it, but it's only for psychopaths yeah. and fears, apparently. <laughs> Right. Uh, the so, Venn yeah. diagram, that's a solid circle. You know? it's, just a, yeah. it's, it's just a big right. failure on that end. because All overlap. Because it's just like, well, where's the nuance then? Because And you can't do that. No, no. You can't do that Garvey line at the end while also showing everything that we've seen here. Because it's bullshit. It's like, that, that's mm-hmm. just, right. you know. And it would have been easy because oh, the stuff were... that they've set up in Boulder is so fucking milk toast that like, do, like yeah. really, yeah, give me some actually appealing camp. Like you can, you can keep some of this cool aesthetic and like twist it in a way that, that does seem like, oh, we're just a little bit more unbuttoned. You can actually like be yourself without worrying about someone asking you about your fucking dreams and also like, you know, looking like you're on the on a the CD cover of a country album. Like we are more <laughs> like free here, and that's like a yeah. You can live in a place that doesn't just have wicker furniture. Yeah, it's fine right. here. Yeah. Well, and there's also the element of people like being in Boulder and not liking that and wanting more Mm -hmm. order, which I think is interesting and starting to kind of filter over to Vegas, which I think is an interesting examination of what like structure and order actually means and where the line is to where it becomes oppression, which I thought Mm -hmm. was going to be something that they were going to do. Like when they said, um, when they made the first mention of slaves in like episode, I think two or three, I thought that was where they were going to go with it. I thought there was going to be some kind of like reasoning or like you, you've done something wrong and that's why, but it's, it's not really going there. And it's cause you don't have room, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I want an entire Vegas episode, but I want an entire Nadine episode. <laughs> really? When you really only have room an <laughs> for like the things that happen here, it's, it's the equivalent of being like, well, you have two seconds. And in those two seconds, you have to be like Vegas bad. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's established through leather, as I think you said, Mel. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, it also just makes bad. no sense because exactly. you know that, like, <laughs> the groups that are in Vegas would hate each other. They'd be at each yes. other's throats. Oh, you can't yeah. have people wearing fetish gear next to, like, the people who would beat them up for wearing fetish gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing. It falls apart quickly, and there's something that it's reminding me of, and I can't quite 
remember what it is, but it's like this debauchery. Oh, it's the scene in uh, the book where Larry is having the party, the house yep. party, yeah. and his friends start to leave because they're like, you don't want to see your friend just continually piss the bed. And like it, it starts to fall apart. And like to quote the poem, the center doesn't hold. And that we just don't have enough time to see that start to happen in Vegas, mm-hmm. which, you know, no, there's just... There's not a lot of nuance. Well, it's there, almost but, like the creators yeah. were like, well, you know, book two doesn't have any Vegas in it, which is to the detriment of it. Um, but so let's not have much Vegas at all in the series. <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah. know, there's why would yeah. anyone want to see that? Yeah. Do people want conflict in a TV show? Like, I think <laughs> not. Like, it's, it's, it's insane. They want 3,000 characters. <laughs> like 3,000 right. characters and nine episodes Vegas in episode five. What mm-hmm. and and hypothetically, if, from what we've been led to believe, episode nine is the new coda yeah, one from it is. King. Oh, so okay, really so we got two. We have two left to wrap things yeah, up. It's it's insane. So I just yeah yeah. But look, we do get Vegas. Yeah. you know. So I guess you know. that's true. Yeah. Well, and so we've got these fights, and then we see flag. And I'm skipping a little bit to kind of stay with Vegas because the bright spot of Las Vegas is Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, yes. You love Alexander Skarsgård. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we can maybe talk about him a little more in this. Jen, would you, for his hotness. would you kiss him even if he had the milk like from <laughs> that he's drinking in the glass with ice? Like if he had like just a sopping milk mustache, mm. would you be into that? I don't know, man. I, I yes, I think so. I really, when I in, examine my soul, listeners, the, you heard, yes, she would suck the, the milk out of Alexander Skarsgård's facial hair. Oh my! Uh, and I don't even like milk, but well, I it's mean, good for that, the bone. That is, that. <laughs> According to Flag, that kind of added. These kinds of words will get us sent straight to New Vegas. I'm just That's saying. That's right. We're, all We're the New right Vegas there. crew. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. The wagon. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, well, so let's, I guess, move back to Boulder for just a little bit because we also see Mother Sorry. Abigail. And yes. And this is the most uh, we see of her or the, the most that we have seen of her yet. And I noticed they also call her Mother A, which I could not help but think of Lady A when I was hearing that. Which <laughs> oh, just, no. Something I know. Yeah, there are a couple of moments here where I'm like, CBS. Yeah, your CBS is showing. You know, Sammy. Uh, Sammy joke saying that um, we were watching last night. It's like, do you think Whoopi Goldberg filmed her scenes in like a day? Like, <laughs> she must have. But also, I mean, can we just talk about the some of the weird writing? Like the moment where she's like. I leave the top of the piano open so that the children can see what is going on inside. I think it's comforting to them. I was literally like, yeah. am I high? Like, no. what the fuck does that <laughs> not mean? Not how pianos work. You No. Yes. Also, he's not looking in the piano, and that's not comforting. I, I, I have a piano. It does not work No, like it's that. terrifying. Also... I, it I is. took it to mean that she puts children in the piano. Uh, that's, that's oh, I think it's comforting for them. Just have the tiny little hammers. It's like acupuncture. Also, you would not have your piano that close to a doorway no. because of no. weather. And because like a random Nadine might like kick the door down at any moment and then just wander in. I like that she, well, no reaction to it. I'm cribbing this from Sammy, but like Sammy took a umbrage with the fact that like Nadine was like, well, yeah, we used to have one of these things. Uh, 
you know, at the the orphanage or whatever. It's like one of these things. It's like the most ubiquitous instrument, like of all time. Like right. it's a fucking piano. <laughs> Do you like, not what know is, what, <laughs> what it is? Oh, really? I thought it was an accordion. I didn't know. It's like <laughs> ridiculous. It just yeah. So thought that was funny. Yeah, that that was a very like plot scene, and that's I think my biggest problem with Nadine, just in general, is she feels very much like the character that unites all of the plot lines. You know, I will move what? this scene forward. Exactly. I am the the drama or I'm the catalyst now, which I mean, could be really interesting if we were really examining her choices in those actions, but we're not really. But she does have a moment where she um, gets choice shamed a little bit by Mother Abigail. And she says, well, you do have a choice until you don't, which is maybe not the most wise well, like what? it's good that we're getting that quote, you know, after she's already killed someone. So um. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it also just like isn't is not wisdom <laughs> that reminds me of a time I, I had two guy friends who were arguing over who was faster. And one of them was like, well, if I didn't have bad knees, I'd be faster than you. And the other guy was like, that's like saying if I was faster than you, I'd be faster than you. <laughs> like, right. It it's always daytime until it's night, right. you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's cool. Just... We all saw the Matrix, and we all know philosophy now. So <laughs> that's true. Honorary there masters. There is no spoon. Ooh, I do love the Matrix. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, we and she also is very mad at Nick for sending spies. Don't know how she found out about the spies. I guess he. Well, I mean, I guess Tom is gone, so that yeah. would be pretty mm-hmm. noticeable. But you know, I mean, I guess they didn't think about that when like that she was immediately going to find out about it because that was a big deal in the last episode was she's not going to want us to send spies and we're doing it anyways which is not really a part of the book and I'm interested to see what what the deal is with that because I don't necessarily think it's a necessary conflict especially when we've got so many other conflicts I'm interested in it because I hope that it is part of proving her fallible like they're defying her Mm. And sort of being maybe ultimately, I mean, I don't know. I watch week to week, so I, I haven't seen anything beyond this episode. Like maybe ultimately being proven mm-hmm. a little right, like that it was it was necessary to send these guys. And so like her will doesn't have to be law. And maybe God yeah. doesn't know everything. Quote unquote, God doesn't know everything. But I yeah. don't know what's going to happen. So I I don't know. No, I think that's I think that's a smart move if they did that. Um, because I mean, one of the, the things we've been harping on this whole season or series season, what the hell do you call a series? Just a one-off series. You don't call it a season, a right? Series. A limited series. Yes. Um, one of the things we've been harping on is the fact that like, they don't really know what to do with mother Abigail. Like, you know, I joked, yeah. I think in the last episode, maybe the episode before that, that like at this point, they really could have just gone with like the original intent, like original idea of what they had for John Connor for Terminator Salvation, where he was just gonna be a voice on a radio. Mm-hmm. And I think they could have done that with Mother Abigail, just like almost been like, oh, just you know, just see Mother Abigail, or you know, and you just don't even see her. You know, it's just this force or this idea that's there. But like with this, I, I do like that choice if they did that. Like, and she does. Tr- it's like, well, I guess you know they're right. Fuck well, they're me. clearly but. not making the other choice, which would be interesting, which is showing her torment over being idolized and yeah. ennobled and like that is really interesting but we don't have time we don't have time everyone keep moving right 
Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, because it's hard to really make the point that they are choosing not to believe in her as a deity because they really haven't established that people believe that. Like we've seen maybe one or two dreams with her in it. And even it's and it's just happened so fast that there, she doesn't seem like a guide. Like more people talk about following Harold to Boulder mm-hmm. than talk about following Mother Abby. We know that's they're a, like uh, visiting her house, but we don't know what those meetings are doing. Like, are they... <laughs> Are they just going right. in being like, does this guy like me? Or like, what, what's what's the content of these meetings that they're having? Exactly. Yeah, like, She's is it a confessional? <laughs> is it just the place where decisions are made? Um, right. I also just find this very confusing because we spent so much time talking about how Nick is going to be her voice and whatever Nick says goes. But then mm-hmm. I think it's like the next episode, Nick is like, yeah, let's send spies, even though she just told me not to. So it's like, what are we doing here? And also, right. we have so little time. Why are we spending it on this? Yeah. Right. Well, and we like, haven't this established. better pay off. Exactly. Because we haven't established the relationship between Nick and Mother Abigail enough for it to be a significant choice for him to go against her wishes. Yes. Ooh, there's a lot. <laughs> there is a you lot. Know? There's a lot. It's funny because it's like, um, you know, you see, look at it surface level, or should I say Raven's level, um, you know, because like a you know, <laughs> uh-huh. random flag. Uh, but mm-hmm. and it kind of seems like, ah, you know, wow, it was a very <laughs> soluble episode. But then you like get into mm-hmm. the wrinkles of things. And you're like, no good. <laughs> no yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. This, this whole series is basically, it would be perfect if it was a, a platter of brownies because it's half-baked. Ah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a limited series television show. Nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, like yeah. It. And there are moments that I really love. And there are some real moments in this episode mm-hmm. that I really, really love. Yeah. And some of my favorites so far. But there's just a lot that when you really start to pull the threads of them, they just, it's like, what are you yeah. really saying? I just keep you know? thinking but, of like what, non-constant listeners think of mother abigail like we already get that yeah. like we get like randall flag is this villain i mean we get to, he's established in the first episode you know and she is too but at the same time like you're the, the point of like everyone following harold over her is so valid because they've they've skewed like the idea that they've been having these dreams and that she's been bringing them in here in such a different way than they do in even say the 1994 miniseries where you expl- explicitly see, you know, these vivid dreams, you know, of these characters walking up through these fake plastic cornfields and going and seeing her house. And you get that kind of here, but you don't really like they keep pulling their punches on that and they're trying to make it vague. And it's like, you can't really be vague when you only have fucking nine episodes. And then also on top of that, you know, you're here at Boulder. We've seen what her walk into a hospital room, and talk to a guy. Mm-hmm. She's talked to and scolded like two characters that we kind of maybe not really didn't know, or at least constant non-constant listeners don't. So I really am fascinated to like know like what the fuck regular viewers must be thinking of like who the fuck is Whoopi Goldberg in this show? Like I don't get it. Like it well, just- and you've said in past episodes, Mike, that they aren't taking the time to lift her out of stereotype territory. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's black old lady magic. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. and that really is it. We don't even know like what kind. <laughs> like we I know. just we just right. know there's like vague mysticism and she's like a mm-hmm. maternal figure and yeah. it's so yeah. strange. Right. And and they did public do you remember all the press beforehand being like we're not going to do the magical negro and it's like you can't just write the article yeah. and then do it anyway. Like that wasn't the work. The work is not to do it. Yeah. 
Right. Or do you think that you're not doing it? Because that's almost worse oh, because no. it's verging on offensive. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and it's like when you don't let somebody else edit your work and then it is out in the world and people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Like there, I feel like there's not a perspective there because mm-hmm. the thing that we were complaining about in Vegas is that it's one note and it's like, here's the meaning right here. And I feel like with Mother Abigail, it's so vague that we there's no meaning and it's just because there's no room. There's no room for either of those things to have any kind of nuance or detail. And it just it feels like it feels like the stand greatest hiss that's what it keeps right coming back one of the best parts like oh that's of the stand is that mother abigail has a lot of doubts about herself versus flag Mm -hmm. who is all confidence all the time until that veneer has to break and right in this they're just kind of positioned as the two best chess pieces and that's it they're yeah it's it's black versus white. It's literally embodied in a chess set in this episode. I know. Oh my yes. god. Well, and then and that's yeah. and look, and it's something that I've been saying since second one of this recap series is that you know, there's so much in this book. Like, you know, there's so much source material in this book. And not only and for every character, every fucking character, and especially Mother Abigail. I mean, if you wanted to do a whole episode on Mother Abigail, which they could have you could have easily yep. done it. They have they have our whole history. They have that wonderful, which would have been in a killer bottle episode where she has to kind of prep mm-hmm. the meal for when everyone arrives and she has to go from one, you know, one farm to another. You just have so much there. And so, again, it just goes back to the point where it's just like, why didn't you make this a fucking series? Like, at a time when yeah, everyone wants IP, like, you had... You have so much here. Like, it's just, why squeeze it in nine episodes? Anyway, I'm beating a dead horse. You've got to think that CBS All Access has done something weird where they either didn't have faith in this, and that's why they only gave it nine episodes. And I I wouldn't be surprised because I still think that the date that they began dropping this and the fact that they haven't even, they didn't even take a week off for Christmas is Mm -hmm. baffling. Like, I... I kind of think that Josh Boone pushed this through against a lot of wishes and Mm -hmm. we're seeing some very odd creative choices. And I think you're right, Jen. It's almost like he said, well, I'm going to do it my way or it's not going to happen. And they were like, I guess. Sure. And we're getting this weird, like, I want to be lost, but we're not going to do the things that Lost did well, which was giving people their own episodes. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I like those flashbacks, though. Those are fun. Let's do that. Yeah. All at once. Yeah. Yeah, because that is the one thing that I want, is I want everyone to have their own episode. I want it spaced out because I want to get the character development. And then when it all comes together in Boulder, because that's my favorite part of the book, I know who these characters are, and I know the the decisions that they make actually mean something. Um, And I feel like we get that with a couple of the characters, but there's just not enough room for all of them. I mean, they. And I keep forgetting that this character is a part of the story because we haven't seen him in an episode, you know? And and yeah, like Greg Kinnear doesn't even show up in this fucking episode, does he? He doesn't. Less of a series and more of a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> but like uh, what was the the fun one with like the animation and everything that I think went away yeah quick. or like a paperclip comes out and it's like did you remember that Larry was in episode two <laughs> you know <laughs> thanks yeah, Clippy yeah. <laughs> Clippy yeah you can ask Jeeves who a character is if you forget uh, yeah I mean I, I, I don't know I mean it, it's it's a it's a lot it is a lot yeah. and you know it's it's interesting that when you look back in hindsight for five episodes and look, we still have to go through the rest of the episode. I understand. But like, yeah, <laughs> when you look through like the five episodes so far, 
it seems as if like they really did like center the entire series around like book two, which is like easily. I mean, I know you love book two because of the ad hoc meetings and stuff, but like I do. It's it's interesting that that shouldn't. I don't know if that's you can't really. I mean, most constant readers would probably say like, eh, that's not really a good backbone. You know, like that's usually the point where like most the readers are just like, all right, come on, come on, come on, let's get going, let's get going. Which yeah, I guess in hindsight might make sense because you're like, well, how the hell are we going to get to this slog? You know, in 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 better you know in in a better medium, when you have multiple seasons, you could find little side stories and get into really cool, interesting bottle episodes and stuff. But with here, it's just like I do wonder, like, why are they spending so much time here? Like, I know it's so weird. Well, and the reason that I love book two is partly because I've read the book like probably close to ten times at this point, so I know everything that's going to happen, and so I love mm-hmm. the character work, you yeah. know, and that's when I really kind of because I love these characters and I love the little details that we get in that book. And, and it's like, you just can't do the story without the action, but the story doesn't mean anything unless you care about the characters, you know? So it's like, it's, it's, you know, it just is, it's going too fast. Yeah. It's, it's, Um, if it seems listeners like, the dead horse is not only beaten, but now just like pure pulp on the ground. <laughs> it's because right. it's in the pool. It's a. It's going to be cleaned up shortly. Yeah, you can, you oh, can swim in the dead yeah. horse at this point. At this, seriously, um, it's that's right. It's yeah, just it's not our fault. It's because we have to watch these episodes, and the same problems keep cropping up. So take well, it yeah. up with CBS. It's also just it's. It's so frustrating as like, I'm not even a person who particularly likes this text. I'm a person who likes book one. And then when we're done with the plague, I'm like, I'm kind of less interested in how these people Mm. rebuild the world. It's just like from the basic tenets of how you build a TV show, this show is not doing it. Mm. And Mm -hmm. the decision making is so baffling that like, when you look at the short runtime, you think we are now more than halfway through this series. And how is that possible? Because I, I can tell you, we're going to get two new characters in the next episode. And you're like, why are we introducing <laughs> new characters? And yeah. not to refill the haterade even more. But I do, <laughs> I do feel like the bafflement that we are experiencing means that when there is a glimmer of something like a bit of mm. chemistry or a cool image, we're like, oh, God, yes, that. Oh, uh, that was cool. And... I'm latching on yeah, to it. Like, like, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> and it, and that <laughs> moment where Randall Flagg looks at Dana with a lie. It's so good. Yeah. And that's, on uh, any other show, it would just be a Exactly, yeah, exactly. Like, these, these things probably aren't that cool is what I'm saying. Like We're going to say they're cool right. because in comparison, relative to the rest yeah. of things, we're like, ooh. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, speaking of the things that I think are cool and like the shiny objects. Um, my favorite parts of the episode are towards the end. And um, that is Franny and the dinner party, yeah. which um, is interesting. And the, the moment where she introduced or she invites Harold is so bizarre yeah. and awkward, which I don't actually think is Harold's fault. Like that would be a weird moment, you know, like, yeah, I remember you're dating him. Okay. We get it. You know? Um, but then the dinner party is, I really enjoyed it and partly because I just love Owen Teague as Harold so much. And I know Joe, you said earlier, you're not so into that. I find him fascinating and I've always kind of been drawn to his character in the book. And I just love how Owen Teague is kind of bringing him to life. And it really works for me. 
And this dinner scene was so weird and so awkward in a way that I found myself thinking that is what Harold needs. Like he needs to have these conversations where he says, yeah, you were kind of a jerk to me, even though like we weren't friends. There's a big age difference. Why would you invite me to go get ice cream with you? That's a weird ask, but he needs to get that anger out and talk to people about it. And it's presented as kind of an off-putting moment because I think he's just kind of already decided that he hates everyone. Well, that, and then, and I, I wanted to harp on that because you know, I'm bipolar, so one of the things that <laughs> is really fun about that uh, about that element is um, <laughs> it, is it, it it works a lot like, and this is going to be lewd, but this is the best way I can describe it. Um, <laughs> lewd alert! Is that yeah, right? It's um, the Vegas episode. We're in Vegas so now. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the, right. the, Welcome the to Vegas, to, baby. <laughs> the best way to describe sometimes feeling with that with the emotions is that you know you could feel at your highest, and you're just like, oh, this is great, this is great. But you really are just bottling up like all of this sort of like toxicity that you've been kind of like thinking about and that shouldn't really bother you, but does. And and then it just kind of it just goes and builds and builds and builds to the point where you're just like, I got I to gotta, I gotta release it. I, I can't handle this. And then all of a sudden you go down and you're at the bottom and you're at like this fucking dour point. And it all it's all about triggers. And with mm-hmm. Harold here, what I love about this scene, and I don't know if it. I mean, granted, it probably, you know, this type of nuance probably doesn't work because I feel like Owen Teague is bringing a lot of nuance to this character in a show that doesn't really allow it sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I love about his portrayal here is that, you know, he comes on and he has to be this sort of like, yeah, I'm at this level and I have to be this level because I'm I'm in public and I've already committed myself to that idea. And, you know, he's, you know, because of the, the whole Tom Cruise thing and stuff like that. And similar to what I was just talking about with bipolar, like something he gets triggered and all that, that sort of facade that he has for himself. And I'm not saying, you know, the highs that I have are a facade because most of the time they're not, but with, with him in this situation, he can't even hold on to that facade anymore because it's that rage that's been boiling inside him. That's been boiling inside him. And that toxicity is just like, fuck it. I'm going to unleash it. And that's why even he seems surprised at like, at the point where I'm, I'm sorry, this is the wine talking because he doesn't really have an excuse. He's like, all right, well, I've I really shouldn't have just let that out. I slipped. I slipped myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm a spy here, basically, almost, you know, in the same yeah. sense I mean, that Larry's a spy. A camera. <laughs> yeah. And right. so, you know, there's a lot of that 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 sort of I don't know. So I just like that idea because it, it felt that to me felt very real. Um, yes. Well, also just entertaining to watch just because I think he's just. I'm in total agreement that they gave Owen Teague a backpack and they were like, hey, can we put the whole show in here? And can you carry it? And yeah, he was like, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, they do that in the writing, too, I think, just because, again, he's the only character that operates from within and not and not entirely reactionary to what other people do, which mm-hmm. is so funny because he is the most reactionary character in that everything that right. other people do make him, makes him irate and like simmer with with this sublimated rage and like i don't know i think owen teague is just is just um yeah carrying everyone and i love that scene i love that scene too and i love that we get to see harold's real smile at the at the end in contrast to his tom cruise smile um i will say joe that i that i totally am glad that somebody was like yeah what is franny she's just like an empty vessel for like whatever they want (laughs) to 
put in there that represents I don't know feminine goodness like who like who is she oh, yeah. like Franny is nobody She's motherfucking Teresa there's nobody in yeah. there mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody's home I mean I'll I I struggle with this because I quite like Odessa Young but I feel like she is too young for this part and not just because then they put her with James Marsden who was like still looking very gorgeous but the age gap yes. between them is Icky. Oh, it's like 22 years, um, I think, or maybe more. Yeah, like 22, 25 or something. Yeah. It's big. It's big. Um, but this is kind of where she starts to get a little interesting. But I'll confess, mm-hmm. it's like, the, you know, it. again, we're grasping at straws where like the most interesting thing about her is that she doesn't fall for his ruse. Because I, I appreciate what you're all saying. I do think that this is Owen Teague's best moments of the series i don't find a ton of nuance in his performance like everything about him comes across as so creepy that i just don't understand how he's gaslighting anyone in this <laughs> <laughs> you would immediately but I do be love like this dinner <laughs> but i do love the dinner scene because i think it's him cracking where he's normally putting on his facade he's normally so good at acting apparently to all of these people not so much Mm -hmm. to me but um (laughs) i do love this moment because i do feel also like we've been a guest at a dinner party like this where somebody says something so fucking awkward and then they try to walk it back and everybody's like i think we just saw the real you Mm -hmm. and it was Mm -hmm. like everybody's now on edge um i guess the thing that I don't like is that we also then have to watch the super obvious Larry part where you're like, oh, gee, I wonder if this will end badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so maybe that can move us into the next um, encounter that we have. With, unless we have any more thoughts about the dinner party. I just um, I just do think I've got it's some... interesting how much the show privileges Harold's perspective. Um, like whether or not his performance is nuanced, it is the most it is the most prevalent thing that we like get access to. Like the show is Harold's. And I remember thinking Mm -hmm. that from the very first episode, when we see Franny shoveling her father's grave, it's actually a very objectifying shot. It's Harold looking through the fence at her. And I was very Mm -hmm. upset about that because I think that that scene should belong entirely to, to Franny. It's such an upsetting scene in the Mm -hmm. book because it is entirely hers. And because it's focused on the manual labor that would actually go into burying your father but to have Harold be the lens through which we see everything um, is such an interesting <laughs> choice. Like, I mean, I didn't like it in that instance, but I think it's also responsible for why we're so, you know, ride or die for Owen Teague. Because um, I think Joe's right. He like it's not a nuanced performance. Like Harold's an incel. Like we, did. and I think yes. I think the. The appeal of that is just the awkwardness of the end of the world would indeed make us have to tolerate an incel for as long as people have to tolerate Harold and be like, well, maybe he's awkward because everyone died instead of maybe he's awkward because he has ill intent. Yeah, like I found myself wanting them to say, like, Joe, what you were saying, like, instead of, the, oh, we just saw the real you, it's weird now, saying, oh, we just saw the real you. Hey, we've all been through massive trauma. Let's yeah. talk about that. And it's okay for some of us to kind of be assholes sometimes. And it's okay for, you know, maybe Franny and Harold are just not going to be friends for a couple mm-hmm. of years. Like, there are enough people in Boulder now to hang out where he does not have to constantly, like, rub up against that that awful moment moment for him or that kind of situation and I think that's the room that he really needs to kind of turn away from that and I think we see it in the book and we've seen it in the show that's one of the things that I do like about it is I think 
they do show moments of him being like a teenager, you know, and just having a lot of really bad ideas and like going towards incel territory. But, you know, all incels started as kids, too, you know, yep. and there's a, at a certain point you make a choice to embrace one thing or another. And I think they're giving him the room to do that. I just wish I just wish more characters had that room. Well, but, I also uh, to to kind of give a little more credit to Franny. I think one of the things I the what the what I took from the point of view and the perspective because that's a that's a great point, Mel. Because like I like just sitting here ruminating on it, I, I it almost feels like it connects with the idea that it's something we talked about in the last episode where Franny is bringing a child in the world, right? But what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like well, you know, she's contending with a world that's changing that she doesn't quite understand and she's gonna have to bring a new life into a world that she might not even understand herself until that you know even up to that point so how do you bring new life into this strange world and i think one of the things that this show is really did a good job at is just showing the the terrifying you know and this is something that we really hampered on in the last episode is the patriarchal world and that like that's it's terrifying like it's the idea that you know the male gaze becomes the male domination and you know that could lead to something Mm -hmm. like the zoo or it could lead to people like harold and i think in hindsight looking back at that point maybe it's the the show trying to make that sort of commentary that like you know even no matter how strong-willed you are and independent you are there's that that fear or that that notion that there are some there's something around the corner there's somebody that's looking over your shoulder there's somebody that's going to be there and maybe that's like the patriarchal fear that they're trying to hammer down here because i, I think I mean, you I get think it they definitely are trying to yeah. do something like that i think it's very clumsily done just because again we're pressed for time and what that yeah. means is oh, that totally. every man who's not in boulder <laughs> totally. is a rapist and like yeah, the only men that we run into on the road are going to be rapists and like i yeah. it's so it's so unnuanced. I mean, I, again, the horse. I'm like kicking the smooth, the horse smoothie down the road. <laughs> I just. <laughs> it looks like a, a like a, um, a code red Mountain Dew yeah, exactly. smoothie. Yeah, exactly. Smoothie, little, slushy, with little Slurpy. shards of bone, yeah, with and... a bit of chunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like hair. No longer, Mister Ed. Sorry. Um, oh. Sorry. Too soon. <laughs> yeah, he ate peanut butter to talk. Did you know that? That's a fun fact. But um, ho- oh yeah, Hollywood facts. Before Breaking Bad, um, we got Mister Ed. Mister Ed. Right. Uh, yep. Mark but, your bingo. But, but they they kind of add a little bit more of the character to Frank here because like one of the things I do kind of like are just the little things that we get. And I, again, it's like those glimmers that Mel was talking about, where you're like. You know, things are happening so fast that when things are really great, you're like, oh, my God, like a king size candy bar. Um, But like with this, it's like when Franny like teaches Larry how to do the chopping of the wood. I thought that was kind Mm -hmm. of like a cool little like subtle thing that would have been interesting in a long term thing. But like in this, it just felt like very like. Well, hey, uh, hey, we got two, okay. we got two lines. Think, cool. Don't you yeah. think her and Nick would be spending like all this time together? Like she's the only person that he can communicate with besides Mother right. Abigail. Also, why isn't everyone learning to sign? Also, why aren't there therapists in the Boulder Free Zone? <laughs> right. Well, mm-hmm. that's where we they would need go. Therapy. We've got religion. Exactly, and wine, yeah. Well, and I, I do like Franny a lot in this uh, series, and I love, love Odessa Young, and I think that's probably part of it. Um, and also, I just, I, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, I have loved Franny since probably I was 14. Like, I grew up reading this character. I really loved her. She kind of, for better or worse, was like kind of a guide for what 
women are and girls are for me, which, you know, I can, now that I've read a lot more characters, I can kind of think, uh, okay, well, so yes, in some ways and no, in some other ways. But I like that she's got more agency here compared to the book. Oh, yeah. She is doing more. She's more active. And I mean, I think Molly Ringwald just played her kind of like a little bubblehead, you know, with a little (laughs) crop top. Um, and I do, and I like that she is Nick's voice, which is odd because they talk about Nick being the voice, but Franny is the one that is giving voice to what Nick is saying. Mm-hmm. And she is, and Stu is kind of coming across as kind of dumb and like inconsequential here. Like he doesn't really do anything other than saying, oh, well, it's probably fine. Yeah. You know, like he says that to several people. He's like, nah, I think we're reading too much into this, you know? Yeah. No, he's, um, I think this is. Okay, I go for think it. this is the 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 new series version on like okay now this is where we find our progressive angle we're gonna give mm-hmm. more agency to this female character we're gonna dial it back on the white man mm-hmm. and again this could work but as Mel has repeatedly said like when we're just getting it in these little tiny bits it's like well it it starts to feel like a bit of faux feminism where you're like yeah. cool women with agency except also every time women leave the the safe zone of Boulder they're gonna get raped like oh, right also, who okay, is this woman really it. we don't know but she's doing shit <laughs> For- right yeah she chops wood so you know that's yeah. cool I guess Basically. yeah okay sorry Jen yeah. you were gonna talk about Larry. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah 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 well we got we got to get to larry unless we have any more thought i mean we've still got mars and scars so we can yeah we can yeah totally totally talk about there um so the i think the other the only other significant thing that we have not talked about in this episode is the the confrontation with nadine and larry and i don't think confrontation is the right word but the the scene where larry's about to go break into harold's house and because Franny asked him to and Nadine shows up and she's decided because Mother Abigail said the word choice to her a couple of times that now she does not want to be part of this um, Nexium cult. And what's basically. the only way to get out of the cult? Dick. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So this is something that I was getting in a huge argument with Sammy about because I was just like, um, not a huge argument. That's a stretch. But like. I was just basically like, why does she think the only thing is like to have sex? Like, you know, just wait around, like go to a fucking soda shop or something like that, you know, go on a date. Like, and, and it seems like, well, I think she honestly believes that like the only thing like, you know, flag only wants her because she's a virgin. So she's yeah. got to have sex. And, you know, in my mind, I'm just like, yeah, well, like flag's not going to drag his ass all the way to Boulder. So like he could, you know, she could handle like, you know, waiting like a couple of nights probably. Right. I mean, you know, there's got to be something maybe like they could start the drive in. Well, the problem you know? the problem you're pointing out is <laughs> what is the show's position versus what is Nadine's position on yeah. is mm-hmm. sex the determining factor as to yeah. whether one belongs yeah. to flag or not? And I don't think the show makes a clear choice. <laughs> like, I think no. it I yeah. think it mostly implies that, like, yeah, it is imperative for her to have sex with someone other than flag if she wants to not belong to flag, which like gross yeah also gross is when she's like i want you to fuck me larry and he's like you don't talk like that <laughs> i know oh yes. boy Ooh. like hey did i talk about faux feminism because having a male character tell a woman when she says i would like you to do sexual things to me and i am in my own right and he says mm, you have a potty mouth i think you should go you're not acting like yourself get the fuck out of here with that i know and it, uh-huh. what is happening and it's not like they just also, met they like, like they've been on the fucking road forever like it's the fact that they haven't is kind of astounding like uh, first off we don't know how long they've been on the road because we've only seen you know them in a department store and, and in a car and then at boulder um mm-hmm. so 
who knows? But I have to imagine that like, eh, maybe like a couple of weeks went by. That seems like enough of time. And then all, for her to come over and say, hey, can I want to have sex right now? That's after like what? Knowing me for, let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. A month. Yeah. You know, for a month, hey, she has every, look, that's enough fucking time for you to not be surprised. It just seems so like, again, going back to this whole puritanical thing where it's just like, yes. mm-hmm. what? There's no ring on my finger. How can I help? And in this right. episode especially, yes. right? Yeah. Like, if this had been in a different episode, I don't know if yeah. we, uh, no, let's be we real. Would, we, we all would have still reacted <laughs> yeah. this way because it's ridiculous. Right. Right. But particularly in this episode where it's like sex equals vice equals evil. And then she comes over and he literally chastises her like she's a little girl yeah. because right. she says, hi, I'm an adult woman and I have a sexual urge. Well, like, and he says, I didn't mind the part where he says, like, you know, I don't want to do something that we regret in the morning. Like, sure. But when she's like, I want you to fuck me. And he says, that's bad language. And you don't right. talk like oh, that. Also- and I know you better than you know yourself instead of saying I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the situation. Yeah. Right. No. Also, aren't you a mother? And should you be even doing that? What about the children? No. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, also like it's, th- yeah. there's the, you know Ooh. the solution in the book and also in the move in the movie the miniseries is that like Larry's <laughs> already moved on with someone else, so like they have yeah. that sort of like fallback on, which is smart. Which would make sense. Yeah. Exactly. In that yeah. sense, what he says right there, sure, fine, all right, Larry, you're single, you got nothing going on, clearly. You know, this whole friendship with Harold fell apart. So why not? You have like, there's nothing to, to, to stop you from saying like, you know, I got nothing. Let, let's let's uh, let's go to the bone zone. I, I just don't get it. You know, right? Yeah. Well, and that's one of my two big problems with this scene is that it does not make any sense for Larry to reject her. Um, I did have like every time he said, well, she only said it once, but both times, like when she says, I want you to fuck me. I just had the Titanic like your girls in Paris or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I just pictured like, um, yeah, Kate. Yeah, that's cool. Getting painted. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, that I would have watched that scene. But um, there's no establishing relationship. And so, like, if we had seen more of her... Because in the book, she rejects Larry. And Larry is the one who is trying to have a relationship with her. And it's kind of like he's wanting to, like, form this nuclear family with her and Joe. And she is resisting because she is supposed to stay pure for Randall Flagg. And mm-hmm. then it does make sense that she doesn't want to have sex and there's a lot of like establishing her relationship with Harold that there's the one thing and you can't put the P in the V or else like I can't be queen of Vegas anymore and so it makes sense for that to be the one thing that she wants and that's the thing that will set her free and here it's just it's so it just does not work unless you know the larger story and it comes across as like it comes across one as faux feminist and also like what the fuck like what does this mean and oh oh that's right they know each other you know it's like why do you care about joe we saw you have two or three interactions with joe two episodes ago yeah you know especially when joe doesn't even like they don't live together like i think the scene would have made sense if they were living in the same roof and he was like no joe is going to be here like it would be so weird if something happened and then you had to move out because things got uncomfortable but it's like he literally says go back to your house it's like you don't even live together just sleep together yeah it makes me wonder like why they don't where is so shorthand like who who is like is joe just sitting like you know twiddling his thumbs alone yeah you know he's in the piano he's inside the Oh, that's right. He's very comfortable. (laughs) He is, Uh, yes. Wait, Jen, you said that um, 
Shouldn't we talk about Dana's death? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about Dana and that moment at the end, which I actually kind of like for Randall Flagg. It's the most that I like him mm-hmm. as Flagg in the entire series because I think it's maybe the most we see his actual personality, and it's mm-hmm. when the seams are starting to come apart, which I think is interesting. But so um, Dana has, like, the, the jig is up. He knew all along that she was um, a spy. Doesn't know that Tom is a spy, Even though which Dana makes sense knows. in the book. <laughs> And he knows what Dana exactly. knows. <laughs> I kept thinking, like, can't want to explain it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it it makes sense in the book. I keep saying that, but it's true. It's that horse thing we're talking about. But um, and he is very frustrated because she won't tell him who the spy is. And so she uh, he tries. She stabs him in the neck with scissors. And then he does a nice bit of acting. I think I, I enjoyed it. Um, mostly because of the beard, but also um, then she kills herself because I think she realizes there is no way out. And I will eventually give up the name of this spy, but not before she tells Tom to run because Julie Laurie knows about him. Mm -hmm. And do we think he can read that note? (laughs) I can't. So like, What's the point of that? Also, why does she recognize him, but he doesn't recognize her? And if she knows who he is, doesn't she know that he can't read? I don't. It's fine. The show's moving too fast. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't. I think, yeah. I, I think we could maybe. I mean, this is me speculating, but I think we could maybe assume that he's a more public figurehead because he's often mm. around Mother A, whereas mm-hmm. she is just like a random lady in Boulder Free Zone. But yeah, I mean, the show doesn't say that. That has to be something we infer, right? Yeah, and it just, and I liked Dana and um, Flag's last scene. I thought that was an interesting scene. What I did not like is when she does kill herself, him like, oh, well, and just goes and sits down. Like, I wanted the rage because that's the way he reacts in the book, and that is the way I think that character would react because there's a moment where he says, who is this person that thinks they're smarter than me? And I loved that line because I think that reveals so much about Flag's character is that it's really a lot of ego and bluster mm-hmm. that is just fueled by like all of the people. Like I loved seeing him levitating and it felt like the crowd was feeding that and feeding mm-hmm. his power. And that's, you know, unfortunately something I think we're seeing right now is that the hype really kind of perpetuates things. And I wanted to see him lose loses cool more than he well, and did, also like you know, i but. feel like the most appealing thing about the dana sections in the book is all the effort that goes into her infiltration and how good she is at it how dangerous it mm-hmm. is but how accomplished she is at being a spy and how deep she does get but we don't get any competent spy stuff in this episode we just get you're asking about flag an awful lot um guess it's probably because you're a spy and then she's like well i better stab myself with this bottle when, like, that has enough backstory behind it in the book to be this ultimately badass agency-affirming move that gets her out of just, like, I don't know, probably an eternity of torture. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, look, I just, the, I, the horse is, <laughs> is liquefied. <laughs> we just needed more time with Dana. We needed to see the stakes of this operation. We needed to see how dangerous it was for her and how good she was at it in order for her death to mean anything at all. And right. and like you're saying, for us to appreciate Flag's loosening of his like patience and, and his control over himself 
And I just, it's one of my yeah. favorite parts of the book. I think they did her dirty as well. Um, yeah. Right. The only, the only thing is, look, I've been pretty negative about Flag this entire time just because I think that Alexander Skarsgård is dialing it way too <gasps> down for this. Even though, hey, look, okay. look, I think it looks great in it. <laughs> Not to say that. That's true. If I could look that good in a jean jacket is with that tight, fine. But <laughs> the thing I don't like is that I just haven't really felt the menace from him. What I do mm-hmm. like about this episode is that we get that sense of like – inferred history that flag is wired with that king wires flag with uh especially when he's like he mentions like weird things in this episode like you know the whole thing about how he has like you know i think he, did he mention that he had like the lover with like constantine stanislavski or something like that which mm-hmm. is like a, he did it's like yes. a russian theater actor or a theater coach from like the fucking like early 19 or tw- early early 20th century like that is such a random fucking reference and i just love that and mm-hmm. i just again it's like you know, th- when the, the show does things right, it makes you realize like they have the elements. How good it could have been. Yes, like they <laughs> yeah. have the elements to make this really fucking great. It's just such in gasps that you can't really, yeah. you can't just can't really get it. I don't know. Does it, he drink so, milk this, with ice in the book? I don't remember. That's a I great touch. So. I didn't notice him drinking milk with ice. He is. That is. Maybe that is. He's doing that, right? Like he he says something like, "You should try the milk." Like and he's just drinking. It's like freshly pasteurized or or, or something like that. Yeah. He's like, it's, it's you know it's so fresh. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Which I is just, such a cool touch. He's, he's beautiful. So well, it's like well, I always feel like the villain. That's like the villainous thing with like the milk like running off. Like, oh the, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. all the way back to Clockwork Orange. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I well, I will say I know. I, I know it's important not to conflate character with actor, but I just love Natalie Martinez. And mm. I think she's doing such fucking great work in this episode, despite the fact that she doesn't have a ton of character to work with. Like, you're right, Mel, mm. the show fucking does her dirty. I don't remember this character from the book at all because it's been forever. But I remember the spies and I remember that one of them has to sacrifice themselves. And... I was so excited when I saw that we were going to dedicate a substantial part of this episode to her. And honestly, all apart from the super regressive puritanical aspects of new Vegas, I loved the time that we spent there because at least it was interesting. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. dynamic. It was exciting. Like I wanted to know more about how this world worked, why there was a fucking job hierarchy, that black lady Mm -hmm. who just works in like the HR office who hates everyone. Like there's so many fun little details here that I think the show really could have played on. And I really think that the scenes with Natalie Martinez and then uh, Catherine McNamara Pop. Just imagine yeah, if it I was agree. if the so episode dynamic. belonged to them and it was just us following them through a yes. month in Vegas and like and yes. ending right. where it ends and with her sacrifice like it would have well, been so yes. great. And if you think about it, it would have worked structurally too because if you had just a solely Vegas episode, you have four that mm-hmm. really was away from it, and the fifth one is just all Vegas. Mm-hmm. You could have done a yeah. lot of the stuff that they did in Boulder in the next episode with, well, I'm not, I'm not spoiling stuff that happens, but there's a lot of elements that happen in episode six where you could have easily connected them with what they were doing here. So, you know, mm-hmm. mm. sounds like someone but, should hire us well, in the writer's room. You know, I think we got the answers. I think so. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and so let's, cause we've kind of been talking about our characters. So let's like really kind of dive into, <laughs> to the, the hostile pool um, with a section called Mars and Scars. Saw you leaving. You bored with the sermon? <laughs> no, no, just not really my thing. Hmm. 
Can I give you a piece of friendly advice? Sure. Now, it's one thing to come into town and think you're too good for the people who live here. I don't know why you'd say that. I, I but, wouldn't. But being too good for God, that's another thing entirely. This is a section dedicated to the hotness of Alexander Skarsgård and James Marsden. Yes. <laughs> and that is all we're going to talk about today. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> this is where we talk about the different characters. And we've already talked a lot about some of these characters. But um, is there anything else we want to mention about Dana? Um, and maybe we can talk about her in the context of Julie and Lloyd. Because I want to talk about them. We have met them before. But we really see them kind of come alive yeah. in this episode. And like we see them in a position where they have power here. Which is not something we've seen in previous episodes. Um, and I... I'd like to hear what you think because I've got I'm not quite sure how I feel about some of the choices here. So I mean, for me, I'm kind of upset with where they've taken Lloyd just because for me, he seems so you look at it on the surface and you're like, oh, well, that's an interesting take on the character. But is it like, you know, it, <laughs> my it, question it's for not. you is absolutely not like it's not like it, it's just very like it's so like. It goes back in first off, it goes back into what I was talking about, how like this kind of sexually fluid characters are like sinful and crazy and unpredictable. And like but mm-hmm. there but with him, it just seems so I'm just not a fan of this like where he took this character. And I think a lot of it has to do with the wardrobe. I I think like I would I wouldn't mind it so much if the wardrobe felt just a little more lived in. Now, granted, I know a lot of these characters have just moved to New Vegas. So they'd probably have new clothing. So that's probably an argument against what I'm saying, but like it just feels very like the best way I could describe it is like in Power Rangers the movie, which is the second time I've referenced that in this series oh my God. Uh, recaps. <laughs> but when Power Rangers the movie, when Ivan Ood's played by the the wonderful, um, oh my God, I can't remember his name now, but he's uh, he's he's Belloc uh, in uh, Beloche, uh, as if you want to call a quote Sala from Raiders of Lost Ark. But um, <laughs> he's he's when Ivan Ooze takes over the entire city, everyone starts acting like wild and crazy, and it, everything looks like they all went to Wet Seal, and mm-hmm. I just feel like that's. <laughs> the case here like it just doesn't the wardrobes bother me and specifically with lloyd it just feels so like on the nose for some reason well it looks like they raided a high school like theater you know shop where they were like okay what says pimp yep and then they outfitted lloyd in that and And his hat makes sense for (laughs) like the clothing is ridiculous and i didn't mind it a because i don't have a like I'm not tied to the character. I don't think Nat Wolf is great in this role. Like he's not really giving us much, but I thought that if this show is working with nothing but shorthand, it's really very quickly selling us on the fact that Lloyd thinks that he is the top man. Yeah. And then I love the contrast where he is literally being matched in his clothing by Julie. Like Julie is clearly dressing him Mm -hmm. in these scenes Mm -hmm. as an accessory. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I didn't care about him so much as I care about what she's doing to him because I thought that her introduction in the last episode was very boring. Like, I know that you all liked her and you liked the way she was styled. I was like, okay, she's hitting me one note. She's crazy girl from the prom. And here I was like, Mm. oh, she plays the system. Like, she's going to do very well in New Vegas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think also that that Lloyd should be portrayed as awkward and out of his depth and the clothes yep. help with that like he 
looks uncomfortable mm-hmm. in them. Um, in a way that like rings yeah rings true i i wish that we had randall's thoughts on like oh your boy's kind of growing up like he's such a he's such a lloyd fan um <laughs> i know but <laughs> yeah i also am not like and could take or leave julie in her introduction and also kind of here i don't know they're such one note villains because they have to be it's not even their fault but um right it's weird to me that lloyd is still sort of starstruck by people talking about him and like being this big man on campus when like you've been there for a while Every- well he has to be because it's the first time we're seeing right, him right no yeah of course <laughs> so, we have to yeah. consider right. the audience so. yeah. <laughs> yeah right yeah i found myself really kind of being drawn to julie just because mm-hmm. i think she is more dynamic and i think yes. this character yeah. that she is playing works very well for the actress i think she it's it's really interesting and the clothing choice makes sense for her character and i like the way you talked about her like kind of dressing him and that makes sense for that relationship in the show it does not ring true with what is happening in the book but i actually kind of like that a little bit Mm -hmm. and i was thinking i because they introduced this idea that flag was kind of trying to get larry to come and be his right hand man also Mm-hmm. And, and I was Nick. thinking, like, are, yeah, and, yeah. and Nick, yeah. too, yeah. Just anybody. And, anybody I'll can come it. to do Vegas and be a right <laughs> Exactly. <hand laughs> well, and I liked the idea that this is who he got stuck with and that Lloyd is, because in the book, Lloyd is, like, he's a pretty strong character and he, like, organizes things and there's a reason that he was chosen for this role. And here, it's just, like, the, this is the guy and I kind of felt myself... Exactly. Well, and I was like, I, I kind of want Julie to take on that Lloyd yes. role and she's starting to become that, that, because she's, that's where I see the manipulation. And she's like, she mentions flag and she knows it's going to like make his boner go down yeah. because she probably really wants to go shopping. Which you know? I love that. And she clearly doesn't actually like him at all. Right. Yeah. She's like, Oh, right. I can attach myself to this powerful man and rise to the top. But also I don't want him to put his penis anywhere near me. Cause he's icky. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, that's Vegas. That's what Vegas would be is the patriarchy manifest, you know. And, mm-hmm. Can someone you know, confirm for me because I wasn't or... sure if this was just reflective or or not, but is Lloyd wearing like glimmery eyeshadow in this episode? <laughs> I think he is. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I know. Which to me was yeah. just another yeah, like we're just coding people as like yes. bad and a, and a little bit pushing against gender norms like great yes well, that's what i mean like it's that's what bothers me the most about it and especially oh, yeah. with something i'll probably hammer on next week when we talk about another character that gets introduced oh boy yeah um, it's bad it's i'm so excited oh. <laughs> i mean this I is basically just like lingerie is bad oh. uh leather is bad top hats are bad you know <laughs> top hats <laughs> Yeah. Being a Southerner is bad too. Yeah. Like I found myself like hearing them use it, like really leaning into these accents. Oh, a baby, lot. come on! Oh my god, oh, it, is, that it, really right, it really is like they're trying to be like these people are so trashy. They're just like, yeah, yes. it's very Tiger King, mm-hmm. is what it reminded me of. Yeah. You know, which I really dislike which and again like if julie were the only one doing that then i think that makes sense for her character that's fine and i almost could read it as lloyd leaning into that because i think if you're kind of a weaker person and you're around somebody that is a very strong character you kind of start to pick up aspects of that and it would have been interesting to see his character kind of transform to match julie because she's so such a strong character but we don't see that because there's not enough time but i I (laughs) gotta go love that (laughs) Uh, this is the second. Ep- right. This is the second episode in a, r- a row where we're like seeing a good read on, like a really good read on Julie. Like I love that idea that she's like manipulating Lloyd because it's mm-hmm. totally true and like the points absolutely line up. Uh, it's it just 
I'm interested to see where she's gonna go because she's clearly the one that gets Dana fucked over, and right. and I love that, and I, I kind of. I like that they're actually given some something to this character because that's one of my biggest criticisms of like the miniseries is that like, you know, you get Shawnee Smith as Julie Laurie for that one scene when they're, you mm-hmm. know, in Salt Lake City filming. And um, actually the set for uh, Halloween four for you Halloweenies fans out there, but uh, mm. outside Vincent's drugstore. But um, the thing that bothers me is that the only real thing you really get her in, in Vegas in that, in that miniseries is her just pointing out like Tom, be like, Hey, and that's it. Whereas here, mm-hmm. at least they're doing something with Julia Lowry, even more than they do. in I think the book, which is kind of cool. Yeah. That's all you get really get it from her in the book yeah. other than the people in Vegas are annoyed with her. Yeah. So I'm interested to see where she goes because that, that could be cool. Yeah. That could be cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in one other, and I realize that we're running long, so we can keep this very short, but I'm no, interested to see if you have a read on the female announcer from the pits, because it, it's such an interesting character, and I was like, I don't even know your name, but like her devotion to Flag, the way she's costumed, like the she's hair. some kind of well, ring girl. Well, Jen, like... you know her name. <laughs> Is that the rat woman? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's okay. who I thought. Okay. Yeah, she reminded me of Cara Delevingne. In, yeah. In yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was interesting, and and what the detail that I liked there is that her teeth are gross. You know, like that she's very like put together, and she's got this Vegas like fetish showgirl look. Mm-hmm. That it, and like because her eye makeup is fantastic, it's and spot I spot on. Yeah, I know, and I'm always really fascinated by eyeliner because I cannot do it to save my life. Um, but I love the fact that there's a rot at the core of that. You know, and I think that's a very um, that's what New Vegas really is, is it's a facade that Flag is showing. And mm-hmm. I think she kind of embodies that, but we only get a moment or two with her. It's which very, I, you know, maybe we'll get It was more. all very Mad Max. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it you is, was, yeah. It's funny that you're like, yeah, the facade, but it's there's no, they were like, we don't have time for the facade. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, she, yeah. she has to stand in for, I think, all of the denizens mm-hmm. who are standing there watching, right? Like her, her mm-hmm. extreme excitement and devotion to Flag is like, okay, this is what is expected of all of these people. Like if you're going to show up in New Vegas, you know, you better bring that enthusiasm. Right. Hey, Fiona, yeah. Fiona Dorf. It's uh, Brad Dorf. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. that's why she looks so familiar. Yeah, it's yes. interesting. Mm-hmm. It's, um, uh, the horror connection continues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and she is the uh, gender-swapped version of the Rat Man yeah. from the book. And he and that's a very memorable character, but he does more than this, you know. He's like a member of the the higher like the higher ups here it's like the the free zone committee of vegas like he's one of the decision makers which we really don't see here it's really just lloyd who's not even really doing anything he almost seems like a figurehead here like we don't see him ever talk to flag in this episode no i mean honestly i think that's why it's falling to julie like julie shows up to pick up dana Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. she's actually the one who's in charge yeah i I love that idea I, i love that read i do too yeah. Maybe we'll have a spinoff of Julie taking over. I mean, it, like, it's funny because the, the Rat Man is such a in, is such a con, in, like inconsequential character. Like I, I like I just don't really. Yeah, it's like with trash. Like I, these are two characters that just feel like they're cut from like an EC Comics as opposed to any sort of reality. Mm-hmm. And like the only reason why I even remember the Rat Man is because Dan Caffrey and <laughs> and, and, and 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 Randall always quote the the thing. And also Rick Aviles, who is 
part of the scariest moments of the movie Ghost um, mm. happened to be just ingrained in my head as a kid. Because I remember like watching it in 1994 being like, oh my God, that's the guy that's dragged away in the shadows, the, the, the moaning shadows of Ghost. Um, it's so, very scary. You know, I just, it's a character that you could easily have cut and it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever. But, you know. Right. But at least Fiona Dorf is just going all in. So, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the eye makeup, I did enjoy yeah. that. And yeah. the hat. I was like, that would be fun to wear. Yeah. Um, well, and so I think that's probably all of the characters that we have. Is there any other characters we really want to talk about? We sort of conflated the two sections, which I think yeah, we did. Which, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I do want to mention still no trash can nope. man. You know, he's not here yet. And I, I thought he was going to be in this episode. And I'm okay with that because I don't. You know, I don't love. Um, Do people love that character. No. Yeah. Well, I hate, and I hate that character. And it's played by two of my favorite. Yeah. Like, well, I can't actually say the second one is my favorite because it's problematic. But yeah. I do. Well. I do appreciate his past resume. But um, right. I yeah. But I love well. Matt Frewer, and I can't stand his fucking character in the in the in the miniseries. But I've gone on record here yeah. talking about how I hate Josh yeah. Man. So whatever. Well, and I'm sure from what I hear, there's going to be conversation about that in the in the next episode, and you know, it might be a nightmare. Yeah, to talk about <laughs> uh, smooth. smooth. So, I know. And speaking of nightmares, um, let's go to a section we call nightmares and dreamscapes. If you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. And this is where we talk about the things we found delightful and the things that maybe didn't work so well for us. And we've already talked about quite a few things that we did <laughs> not like. Um, are there any other nightmares that we wanted to mention? I just, I just think a prime example, and maybe I already did bring this up. There's the scene where Lloyd gets, they're walking and Lloyd gets called out by the announcer and... There's just two women making out in the background. And it's like the most egregious yep. example to me of like, wow, this place is edgy because women make out there. And mm-hmm. it's it's the most offensive to me use of like gay set dressing to imply a sort of a sort of uh, wrongness or or just like there it's the only reason that they are there is to be is to be like this place is i don't even know it's a mad lib this place is blank like yeah well they they foreground that stuff too i mean like when they're walking through the hallway you see the one guy in see-through panties and he's just like crouched over another person and it's just like look there are other ways to be sinful here like (laughs) you could do so much more um i mean yeah, anyway, I digress. <laughs> well, and Flag gives that big speech where he said, I can't even remember what he's saying, but he's equating sex with violence, too. And yes. it's, I think because I just watched Bridgerton, it's really been on my <laughs> mind of like the way that we present uh, the way we present sex in the media and how like repressive and shameful it is. And e- even, you know, it doesn't. I don't know the old, and I'm just thinking like the only other like allusions to sex we really see outside of Vegas are Nadine manipulating Harold and Flag manipulating Nadine and Larry and, Franny, and uh, what's who, her face Heather Graham. Oh yeah, getting rejected, and then Franny who is uh, pregnant through immaculate means, I guess 
in terms of the show. The show you is know? And it's yeah. just very. It's a great point because we just don't see any positivity associated with explicit sex, and at any point ever. Right. I and I there... will gently push back against that because I I would go back to Julie's manipulation of Lloyd. Like I don't think it's mm, a positive mm-hmm. thing, but I I did appreciate that it was like here's a woman who knows how to work a man in bed for her own. Needs, oh, totally. Which is actually against sex, but I just I just <laughs> mean that true. there's no yeah. more point counterpoint to vegas where it's like sex is fun and good no. sex is always Absolutely. bad right <laughs> no yeah. yeah it's like yeah. you get the impression that it's a fucking sterile like no sex allowed boulder freezing, if you have which is not the like, case like yeah. who the fuck would go there in the book like, like right. in the book there's like pound kick left and right with like fucking <laughs> stew and franny i mean they're yes. like fucking left and right i mean it's crazy so i don't know why they don't Give us yeah, some I mean, gray cause area. Because even, like, even in this yeah. episode, like we end it with, um, and I'm going to use this to transition into one thing I did like about this episode, but we do end on a sex scene between Franny mm-hmm. and Stu uh, through mm-hmm. the teddy bear can that Harold has set up. But it's like, could it be more chaste and less exciting? Like, and it, it gets interrupted. So we don't. Boring. There's not. We don't act. There is no. <laughs> yeah, sex. we don't even see anything. No. Yeah. Um, But I will say I did love the moment where we realized that Larry's entire attempt at subterfuge and hiding and covering his tracks and like they did such a good job. And I love that the show is like, oh, it's actually all for nothing because Harold had his whole place wired. I did love that because it was like, oh, you people think you're so smart with your secret spying. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. no, (laughs) like you're amateurs. You're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah, and that is one of my favorite moments of the episode, and especially with that needle drop. And it's very obvious, but I mm-hmm. fucking loved it. And and I think partly because it is presenting Harold as the true villain of the show, which is something I think we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. As much as I love Flag, like Harold is the one that is carrying all of the like the evil, you know. And so this sh- this song, like he is the Reaper in this, and that that fucking smile mm. on his face. Mm. Just so creepy and uh, I think the show is doing like sort of a bad job of this but I appreciate its intention and that Harold again does seem to be the only character where we follow through a kind of arc except his arc is learning how to be comfortable with overt violence I mean I think in the the, the episode beforehand it's very clear that we're meant to think like he's he can't stand up to this man like he gets beat up it's he's powerless he um is horrified when nadine shoots teddy he has like absolutely no control or like even want to commit actual violence he's very he's very squeamish he like mm-hmm. and so the mm-hmm. the path that we're on is one of him getting increasingly comfortable with it and that that yeah. to me is Again, I I do think they they botch it a little bit because the very first episode is like him being like I'm irredeemable and I'm going to kill everyone, <laughs> and I would rather we start right. a little bit farther away. Um, but mm-hmm. I I dig yeah. the arc, or at least the intentions of the arc. It's something to latch yeah. on to. Right? Yeah, exactly. Any port yeah. in a storm of dead horse, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, and that might be your reaction if there is nobody there to help you process all of this trauma like he's talking about his parents and clearly there's a lot of triggers there that he needs to work through and if all you get is repress repress and then go bury a bunch of bodies like that's Mm -hmm. likely to be what happens i'll add that the way you feel about Skarsgård is the way i feel about owen teague and it's also why i couldn't be on the interview episode because i was too nervous (laughs) oh my gosh 
I have the biggest crush on him. I love him. I think he's so cute slash hot slash everything. Me too. He's pretty great. I know. It's like, maybe I have a thing for guys who are maybe evil and tall and skinny. Oh, Jen. Okay, Jen, we're going to take you back to therapy. We'll talk about this on psychoanalysis. (laughs) Oh, true. Yeah. Companion episodes. (laughs) Just like a bad boys (laughs) episode. (laughs) <laughs> yes, totally. Well, I yeah. one of the things I, I did like in terms of the needle drops were, um, you know, there was a very familiar needle drop. And if you listen to Netflix's <laughs> or if you've watched Netflix's Dark, you'll know that Apparat's uh, Goodbye is the theme song of that show. And it appears in a really good way here when, you know, Larry's coming in with uh, into the, you know, the house and spying. Um, but if you really know that song well, then you really you're thinking like, wow, this has been used a lot of times in TV shows. Like, like what, what? It's not dark. It's not here in the stand. Well, look, it's probably because you've been to Albuquerque, New Mexico, oh, no. uh, with uh, Vince Gilligan's <laughs> oh Breaking Bad. Everybody specifically, <laughs> specifically, the th- the 13th episode of season four, Face Off. Uh, look, this is this plays when Gus Fring is about you know is about to 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 the climactic battle between Walter White and Gus Fring. Um, TV Guide rated as one of the best episodes of television. <laughs> so check it out. All 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 f- uh, five seasons of Breaking Bad are streaming currently on Netflix. So there, that is my stamp of approval. Loved the the needle drop here, and I love that this the the stand CBS All Access just gave me. That lateral pass, similar to the way they they handle flashbacks, right to me with Breaking Bad. So, um, appreciated that. I can't believe that the Losers Club has sold out to Breaking Bad and Netflix. Like, (laughs) I just where you just cut me off for an ad. I I am just so obsessed with Breaking Bad that like, it's it's my for some reason it's my comfort second screen. I've watched it. So many times Four over the last few years. Oh, I'm up to. F- I think I just finished my fifth one. Sammy's like lost her mind wow. every time. She, like I remember the, when I first started, like in the early November or maybe late October, she was like, "Oh fucking Christ, you're starting Breaking Bad again!" Like oh, no. you know, because because of course after I do Breaking Bad, I go to El Camino and then I go to B- Better Call Saul. So um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, but you should do a Patreon yeah, exclusive where you just say where each of the Breaking Bad characters would have gone had they survived. Ooh. <laughs> I like that. I got a lot of thoughts. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, but I bring it up Um, because one of the things I love about that that series, and I trust me, I want to connect this back to the stand. um, Is the fact that you can't see, but he's self-effacingly rubbing his own face. I, 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 I bring it up because whereas this show has taken a structure and format that has absolutely led to a narrative that wheezes and coughs and gets asthma. You watch Breaking Bad and all the all the dots line up. All the the, mm-hmm. the the narrative has so much time to breathe. You get chances to learn even the smallest characters, even the guy who fucking dips chicken nuggets in sauce. Like you get something with him. But you even the main characters here you struggle with. And even though the show is funneled strictly through Harold and Franny, who I think you're actually really the best parts of this episode um, and most of the episodes are in, it's because the show is built on them. But even then, you don't, as we've discussed now in this, in this, in this episode, you still are having patches here and there. So it's like, that's mm-hmm. why I keep bringing up Breaking Bad because it's such a contrast. Well, and, if, if and you're it, allowed yeah. to do that, then permit me, <laughs> permit me my Deadwood minute because. Oh, please do. <laughs> oh, yes. I think I, there was a lovely, um, 
email I received today, I, I subscribe to the only Patreon I subscribe to other than our own, our own podcast is um, by a critic named Gretchen Felker Martin. I really love her. And she talks about how Deadwood um, can portray an entire lifetime's worth of trauma without doing flashbacks for the characters. Like we don't get a bottle episode oh, of like right. Al Swearingen, um, you know, being unwittingly um, or unwillingly um, sold into sex work by like his madam or the woman that raised him. We don't actually know the very, the, the big specifics of, of Jane Cannery's backstory. What we do get are like incredibly lucid, subtle, references paired with incredible acting so that all mm-hmm. of the weight of a backstory is just jettisoned into the present and like i think the stand could learn a lot from yeah. deadwood that's my deadwood no. minute yeah. thank you for listening i stole it from gretchen felker <laughs> i loved it i love it i do too yeah. yeah but that takes room you have to give mm-hmm. your characters room yeah. to have those moments and let the moments land and unfold you know yeah, you're yeah. talking about series that had, uh, what, like four and six seasons yeah. to build mm-hmm. that out, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. hey should have been three seasons. That's all I got to say. At yeah. the very least, mm-hmm. three seasons. I mean, I, I've already thought in my head I could stretch this out to five seasons easily, and it wouldn't have been a problem, but whatever. Yeah. Hey, not- well, and there's there's room to explore Boulder and Las Vegas also, you know? Mm-hmm. Although, you know, you don't want to end up with, like, the tailies that nobody cares about, but... Um, <laughs> So <laughs> one of the moments that I did really like, one of my dreamscapes, is the moment where Harold is sneaking through the house and Larry is sneaking through the house. Yeah. And I really kind of liked the the way that paralleled and just kind of how it implied, especially, Joe, like you said, with the reveal that Harold knew this whole time. like that Because that, I think in the book he thinks maybe somebody was there, but he doesn't know. Right. And I, I did really like that reveal that, no, no, he's like three steps ahead of everyone and totally evil you know there's like no more nuance there and that 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 look um, is fucking great love it like i just oh i love him i just love him so much god damn it um yeah it's a gimmick so but i uh, the... i really like when flag on the screen looks at dana yes i did too, I did too. Yeah. I did too. that's actually the and, one and moment it's such a simple it's such a simple moment right like it, yeah. i think that's what makes it effective is that it's a showboaty moment but it's also so little right like it's a moment reserved just for mm-hmm. her in this giant mm-hmm. auditorium of people and you think like oh okay it, it's kind of like the levitation and the ego where you're like he he chooses this moment where he's addressing all of his acolytes to turn his attention and be like I fucking gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's quiet mm-hmm. in yep. a show that doesn't always know how to be quiet. Doesn't do quiet well. <laughs> no. right. I, I got a question for everyone. How many, how many, uh, we already talked about like, you know, Whoopi Goldberg being on set for like a day. How long do you think, uh, you know, Alexander Skarsgård was on, the, was on set and how much of his performance do you think was actually filmed offset? Because as we see in this video, he could have been fucking anywhere when he did this. I present like, the implication I mean, that right. Alexander Skarsgård didn't have to drink 42 glasses of milk to get the perfect take. <laughs> Right, and he had to, he had to kill like a whole Jedi council to get that robe in that yeah. one episode, right? So. <laughs> oh, that uh, was so beautiful. You love him, so I'll allow it. Yeah, I you, really you can do. Have him. I'm so, I, I would yeah. take another Scars guard over Alexander. Yeah, I don't think anybody's Ooh. fighting you on this particular one. Wait, wait. Well, I, I, I got to know. <laughs> what, what, are you talking about Skellen or, or Stellan, or uh, are you talking about Bill? I mean. Uh, 
Stellan, are you? choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, They're all I, Swedish. Yeah. They're all gorgeous. Yeah. I, just, I, I just love oh Stellan Skarsgård, who, who amiably walked onto the set of Deep Blue Sea without knowing what the fuck movie he was in. He's, like, <laughs> and he's, he's like, uh-huh. just like, no, I'll still do it. <laughs> And, and then he's right, just like just smoking like hey let's, uh, let's uh, send the cameras over to the cell and he's just like you know this uh, the sharks are, I'm pissing uh, into the wind <laughs> in real life and you just captured right. it for this yeah. film yeah he, like his character wasn't even supposed to smoke he was just kind of yeah. bored <laughs> on the set occasionally just, <laughs> yeah. uh, I do love that movie I do though. too Thomas Jane so love him for the first oh time my god this October. yeah oh it's a fun oh my one god. really no I, I love that for you thank uh, you I loved it for me too it's you so know what fun. I don't love for me is that there are no queer people in Boulder, which I think Joe already mentioned. Um, yeah. I don't get it's it. It's like, it's... it would be so easy to offset some of our complaints here. I know. Get, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's so problematic yeah. because it, it means that the only queer representation you get on this show in this new world where like we are divided into two factions. It's like, okay, queers go to the bad place. Great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I'll see you there with my assless chaps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's strange. I mean, you have so many, like, you know, they do a really great job in terms of, you know, the gender swaps. Cause I mean, even Ralph becomes Ray here. Which is a great character yeah. we all love. <laughs> it's a joke. We don't even know who Ray is. I was gonna say like, who. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ray, we, we've seen Ray a couple of times. She'll probably end up being important because she ends up going on the walk. Spoiler, Wait, but is we've she seen it in the, the trailer. Judge? No, that that's the other no. character that they gender swapped that they haven't really done anything with. I really um, liked yeah. her when she showed up. Yeah, you know, one of the three spies mm-hmm. that we yes. literally don't see exactly. at all in this entire episode. Right. Yes, yeah. so we don't see her in this episode. We didn't get any backstory for her when she actually was interviewed in the last episode either. So they do. The thing is, is like the progressivism is there. It's just mm-hmm. displaced, and there's not. There's just because it's so displaced, they didn't really do the focus in the right areas. We also. And, ne- just, it also just never. Ta- it never talks about race and. We yeah. also haven't talked about the fact that Larry is played by a black man. Um, and like, yeah. wouldn't people be, I don't know. Like society has ended. Uh, we would Mel, be talking about he's... all of this. No, he's a musician. So clearly <laughs> like that's how they're addressing race. He's like right. really talented as a musician. But also Well, haunted. one of my nightmares. <laughs> yes. And, and drug addicted also, yes. you know, he's one of the yes. few characters we see struggle with that. One of my uh, nightmares is the moment where the black woman is saying to throw Tom into the slave cage. And I just thought that's just such a strange it choice. It was a strange to... choice. Even, the, even first... the word choice slave is like deeply uncomfortable. Every time they it say is. it in this, like we're dropping the R word with Julie last episode and now we're dropping yeah. slave. And I'm just like... It, it feels right. very original publication date for the stand from the seventies. Yeah, like what? Yeah. What, what if mm-hmm. would the implication really change? Or you just said cage. Yeah, right. Because we don't see them working. <laughs> you know, they're like they're just the pool fodder. You know, mm-hmm. just call it the or, ball. Or, or that's what we're led to believe. Exactly. <laughs> right. They, they become like the whack a moles. You know, send them to the discovery um, zone. Um, <laughs> but even David then, Busters. we don't know that because we're assuming that. Because we just see them like let in, but we don't know. We just hear that word. And I think it's it's one of the things that I complain about with Stephen King. It's him using racism as shorthand for mm. evil. And mm. that's kind of what we're doing here. It's like, yeah. yeah, yeah, you can be, you know, you can be free to do whatever you want in evil in any kind of way. And I like the... Um, 
I like the idea as of like Lucifer as liberator. Like that's a concept that I'm really fascinated by. And when I saw the first trailer for this and I heard Flag's speech that he's giving here and it was out of context and I was like, oh, that's interesting because that is compelling. And that is something that I would be drawn to as a person who's kind of like figuring out how I feel about religion in general. But it's just so just feels reductive because it feels mm-hmm. like they don't really understand what they're saying. Because at a surface yeah. level, I'm going to Vegas. I mean, I already proved I'm going to Vegas yeah. because we did that test or whatever <laughs> before doing the virtual oh, yeah. screening and I got Vegas pins. So <laughs> I guess, fuck me. I don't even like the they city. They were like 2,000%. There. There's no yeah. question. There's no way. <laughs> but like based on the values here, it's like, no way. I'm not going to Boulder. What, are you kidding me? I don't want to have to like go to these dumb meetings and – the whole town has to go to a goddamn yeah. meeting. Like some are living in like tents. <laughs> I have to there file like houses some everywhere. Paperwork to like kiss a woman or like. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> People live in pianos. Yeah, there. It's weird. It's too much for me. So I'm, I, I, for, and maybe there's a commentary. Maybe that's the twist all along. You know, is that at the end we find out that Vegas actually turns to be great. Not going to happen. But. Yeah. It just so, seems. Well, that's season wouldn't two. that be the that's twist? The God's finger change. just comes down onto Boulder. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> Oh, oh subverted well. your expectations yeah oh right. my god but yeah a little one julie well, inherits the world i'd love that yeah. that'd be awesome um, it's really hard to make would... a show about the the end of the world with such a compressed time it's just really hard the end of the world is yeah. a big event it's huge. well it's also well, what season are we on of the walking dead i know like, we're what, on like the eighth now? season or something 10th like, i think yeah jesus christ 10 yeah Unreal. Which, I mean, I stopped after one. Yeah, I, I, oh. I, I think I left around the time they killed the, the greatest character, uh, Minari, Stephen Ewan. Um, spoiler to anyone who hasn't watched mm. The Walking Dead, but seems to be the, the most the obvious <laughs> spoiler out there. But um, yeah, I mean, the, I don't know, nine episodes, we're on five. Hey, that they can still five. change our minds. <laughs> they right. can still change our well, minds. You- we I could, will say that I, I was with the crew that sort of enjoyed the previous episode. Like, I, lest anyone yeah. think that oh, I yeah. came here to hate. <laughs> like, yeah. Which, right. I love. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I'm finding really interesting is it's very, it's it's like my experience of reading the Dark Tower series. It's like the highs are really, really high and the lows and like, what what's going on here? Where What, what part of Midworld are we in? Um, but we just talked about The Walking Dead and you know where walking dead like to hang out is the cemetery Ooh, ah. spooky what's the bottom of the truth well sometimes that is better the person you put up there ain't the person that comes back it may look like that person but it ain't that person because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all so the cemetery is a section where we talk about parts that we found scary or unnerving. And I've already mentioned pool chainsaws because that really freaked me out. And I just, I, I'm glad we didn't see more of it. But is there any other things that we wanted to mention? I think it's scary if you're a spy and you are being taken in an elevator and you know that you're, you've been discovered. Probably going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't want to be you. Uh... Mm-hmm. That was yeah. good. I, I mean, just like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just, I, I, I imagine Dana knows she's going to die. And yeah, the that's face she goes to Tom. Yeah. And I think that's like that face that she makes right before she leaves Tom. 
it's like this acknowledgement that she is going to die. And I thought that was kind of scary. Um, mm-hmm. You know, granted, I, I liberally talk onto my Twitter about how much I just can't stand. I hate waking up every day. But like <laughs> um, at the same time, if I know that I'm going to be like probably brutally killed or I'm going to have to take my own life, you know, there, there's some anxiety there. And I'm glad that like, you know, Natalie Martinez was able to show that um, mm-hmm. it, it just in the little gas. Like that's what I will say again and again with the show. The performances really do like kind of surpass what's on the text and what's on the page. And there are little things there that kind of give us the stuff that keeps us going. And it's the, it's that that really got me. Um, it's because you yeah. do really get the sense that she's taking, she's swallowing the pill that she's having to, to swallow here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I like that. I thought that was creepy. Um, and yeah. like what Mel was saying, like the glance over on the screen mm-hmm. that did jolt me. Yes. Mm-hmm. The creepy moment that I found um, was when Harold was coming back to join the party after being upstairs, and we find out later planting the camera, and where he's walking behind Stu, and then he walks up behind Fran. Yeah. He's so, like, he's like a menacing shark in that moment. And what I love is that he's he's got this, like, really predatory, not even really predatory look, but just kind of blank concentrating look on his face and then the second she turns around it's that smile that comes up and that was really chilling and then the moment where he is saying that he's leaving and he just looks at her like because she says like the night is young and I kept trying to figure out what it was that he found weird about that or why he was being so awkward in that moment but I just found it really uncomfortable I, yeah I, I meditated on that one a little bit because I, I think a lot of it is that that his facade has cracked so much that he doesn't have anything left to stick around. I I read it as just, he mm -hmm. knows that she's, that she sent someone to his house and he's just like, "Mm." she's She's like, okay, Franny. Yeah. You really want me to stay. I'm going to go catch the guy in my house. Yeah. There's no recovery from the ice cream story. Yeah. 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 That's true. Well, and she's been insistent through the entire thing. Like she's not being super stealthy. No. I I mean, she pretty much is explicit in how much she fucking hates Harold too, which is what I love about Franny. And this is just like, we're good. You know, like that shit. Like I love. Yeah, I do. Um, And I love the moment when he says, I wasn't there, Franny. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I love that. That's so good. Because she's just bought into it. She's like, yeah. "Yeah. Hey, I've done that as a a recovering codependent. I have. And like, oh yeah, I remember you. Uh huh. Or no, the worst. Well, she wants to be polite. She doesn't want to go right. against He's... him at the dinner party she invited him to. But the problem is, this fucking politeness got her into this mess. It's what's going to set a bomb off mm-hmm. in town. Is because people are so fucking polite in Boulder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it reminds exactly. me of like, have you ever like had conversations with people like you maybe like maybe like stop and chat. You know, not deep friends because most of the times if my friends I don't understand what they're saying I'll be like what the fuck are you talking about but sometimes if I'm just like trying to get things going so I can move on and I'll laugh and go oh yeah no totally and they'll go they'll, they'll co- correct themselves and which already disarms me and they'll go oh actually no it's th- it's something this or like you know they'll say something and I'll be oh yeah no totally I remember that and I'm just going with their their conversation to keep it going so we don't stop and you know I just want to get the fuck out of here and they'll right. they'll correct themselves and they'll totally show that I'm absolutely lying. And I feel like that <laughs> was that keep scene. keep going with it. <laughs> yep. yeah. And you're like, okay, we're just going to pile that under the rug and I'm going to walk this right. way. Um, just fade into the bush, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's yeah. what I felt like that whole that whole uh, ice cream scenario was like. Um, for sure. Right. Ooh, Which yeah. was, I enjoyed. There's another moment that I meant to say earlier with Franny that I did like. Okay, in the book, at least twice, 
maybe more than that. Stu stops her mouth with a kiss. Those are like the direct words. And I like when I was reading it younger and I said earlier, like Franny was kind of like what who I looked up to as a female character. And I've since reevaluated that a lot because I thought that was really romantic. I was like, oh, he loves her so much. And now I'm like, let her fucking finish what she's saying. And there's a moment here where he's wanting to talk more about Harold and like, oh, I'm a sensitive man with feelings. She's like, shut up. Let's let's get down. You know, and I, I did appreciate that reversal. Yeah. So. Not, I do like the part, too, where she's like, uh, Larry's in danger. So I'm just going to grab this walkie talkie exactly. out of your hand. What you're talking about is nonsense and not important. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. And he probably would say that, too, because he's very a non-entity in this episode. Yeah. You know? I, he's for been an eye for views. so long. Oh my God. He, he served his point of exposition. James Marston goodness. Yeah. He really Yeah. Is. Which, and I mean, I am okay with that as for his character. Cause Stu is kind of like just every man in general. Um, and we just don't have time, but <laughs> and there's also just everybody else is so big that it is kind of like a moment of like, okay, well he's just he's there. He's just got a smolder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does. Yeah. And he, he's, he looks pretty good doing it. So, um, well, okay, let's move into King's Dominion, which is a section where we talk about things that relate to the other levels of the towers or other worlds than these. There's another world out there. I know there is. One of the things that I noticed was in the, the moment where Flag's eyes go kind of... Um, jaunty I will say because that's the connection that I found um he's talking about forever is a long time and it made me think Ooh, of nice. it's forever in those there. galaxy eyes struck me yeah. as a little little much but <laughs> oh they were cheesy as hell and if I hadn't had that forever moment and also the surrounding face was nice um yeah it was it, it was reminiscent of some of this, the cheesier CGI from the miniseries, yes. you know? Yes. The Windows 95 yeah. screensaver when they look outside and they're like, <laughs> uh, oh, wow, okay, cool. Vegas looks like, uh, you know, um, like, what was it? Like uh, Israel, 9247 or whatever, whatever <laughs> screensaver you could get at that point. But um, one thing that I picked up on, and it, I felt like this was absolutely a subtle nod, uh, was when they he goes to the chess piece and the way he pivots the chess piece is exactly the same way that Annie Wilkes pivots the um the penguin when oh, wow. you know oh, yeah. Paul leaves the room so oh yeah we, we we're uh, uh we're a little crazy when it comes to uh this Stephen King well uh, I noticed but, that the floor just put some glasses on <laughs> that the floor from the shining was back <laughs> yeah I was not told to bring props to this recording <laughs> Uh, I should be wearing these glasses, but uh, instead I always forget to wear them, so my eyes are killing me. But um, mm. yeah, I, other than that, I really couldn't think of any other like explicit things other than yeah, other than the shining, shining floor. Car- you know, which, it's been bothering yeah. me, and, and you'll have to correct me if I just wasn't listening close enough. But have we neglected to state the connection between the planchette board game and thinner? Ooh, it's, we have. It's called I think- the Great Tadoos, or like which is the name of the man who curses the guy from thin. I just, it's been driving okay. me nuts. Let's just point out that we caught I it. love that. I love that. I yeah. love that. I don't think we've said that. Yeah. We? That's a good that one. Is- no, no, no. I, I feel like I'm sure we got called out for it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's Twitter good. Twitter probably hates Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Well, and I found one more connection that is not necessarily a direct reference, but Harold watching all of his monitors in the basement really reminded me of Mr. Mercedes. And I can't mm. even remember his name because he's not a super memorable villain um, in the 
it, it, I can't remember his name, but he like has this basement setup yep. where he's got all these monitors that he's watching things, and that it was that moment. But I think that character is very modeled on Harold, and it's kind of like Harold 2.0 with a little less development. Isn't it so, Brady? Yeah. Is it Brady? Hearts? Brady. Yeah. Yep, yeah. it's Brady. Because mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, I remember watching the first season. I remember seeing that too. Yeah, that, I think that's that's such, that's fair. Because yeah, he is totally a Harold. Uh, and yeah, he feels like kind of like a um, an echo of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, if there is um, anything else, any two thirty seven, because I didn't, I had a little clever thing about how we see a hotel, and uh, <laughs> Stephen King wrote about a haunted hotel. No, that's but true. I mean, Vegas is full <laughs> of hotels. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but I mean, I don't I don't think there was necessarily any explicit references or like even the little Easter egg kind of things. That no, I, noticed, I, so. I was like looking everywhere and, and I feel like maybe they've kind of like weaned off of it a little bit. I mean, the first episode is just filled with them. And yeah. so I feel like they, they probably were like, all right, we gave the Easter egg. So we'll just do subtle things here and there. But we gave the King fans what they wanted. Now we're going to yeah. tell our story. <laughs> They're right. in yeah. someday. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's it. I mean, that's, well, that's a bummer. That's all we got. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's move into final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. This is a section where we talk about, you guessed it, final thoughts <laughs> of the episode. And we are also going to give a nose ranking and say what our MVP for the episode is. And Mel, would you like to start Oh, gosh. Off? Um, <laughs> it's, it's strange that this is my first. I mean, I've been listening to the recaps. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to think of a limited series as a sort of, as like a, an album rather than individual songs. Um, like I think I would have given mm-hmm. up on this, on this show pretty early if I wasn't encouraged to think about it as a gestalt. Um, and this was not a good part of that gestalt. This was, a this was a low point, especially coming off the heels of the last episode, um, where I thought that there was some nice, some nice chemistry going on. I, I think it's mm. we've got to dock some points for its for its associative thinking, um, for its mm-hmm. portrayal of Vegas as bad because Vegas has people <laughs> that are queer and people that are doing that are dressed in leather and everything that we've talked about, um, with no real kind of just intelligence beyond um that that might make people gasp and clutch their pearls like i I just don't understand it um so i nose rankings i mean i don't one like what's the (laughs) yeah like one whoa one (laughs) i mean wow i i'm a i gave like firestarter like two or 2.5 and like this is like (laughs) a worse experience than reading firestarter so like i don't know i mean i think i i get flack from listeners for operating on maybe a harsher scale than than some others relative. No, we need but... a harsher scale. <laughs> right. To be fair, Firestarter, fair. and I apologize, Jen, but Firestarter, for the most part, <laughs> when you look at like King's trajectory, it's, it's probably book. like the first r- real like hiccup for him where he kind of was like, eh, yeah. you, you could have done better. Right. Um, I just, I just know. wouldn't be watching this show if it wasn't for the podcast. And I can find yeah. bits to enjoy mm. within it in that context. Like I enjoy watching it because I know we're going to, we're going to talk about it and we're friends. If I was alone, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be watching the show. Like it would have failed by now, um, for me. Failed yeah. my personal test. 
But I do enjoy parts of it, and I will talk about those um, gladly. But I will give it one one bright red Pennywise clown nose. It's just, I can't overlook the flaws. Yeah. That's my defense. Yeah. 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 Who who would you say your MVP is Um, for the episode? The horse? The the horse slushy? (laughs) Um, Right. I don't, oh man, I mean, I just, again, we are still beating the horse because I think I just have to give it to Owen, like, but that's because the show yeah. gives it to Owen, like, it's, it's, yeah, true. they, they are, set him up for that, they put that ball on the tee, um, so. The ball on the tee? The tee. Ball on the tee. <laughs> <laughs> he hits it out of the park. Um, I just can't think, of, like, and I would like to hard. give it to to the woman who plays Dana, but again, like I just think the show didn't give her ample opportunity. Um, so it's Owen. It's always been yeah. you, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, what about you? Um, so it's funny because as I was listening to Mel talk, I'm like, I don't disagree with most of this. And yet for me, this is the best episode of the show so far. This is the only episode that I felt had any stakes. It actually broadened the scope so that we didn't have to spend all of our time with these really boring citizens of Boulder. Like I appreciate, like I had all of the exact same issues with New Vegas, but at least it was dynamic and it offered me something new to kind of break up the ennui. And I fucking love Natalie Martinez. She's easy, my MVP for this. I agree. I don't think that Dana was a particularly fleshed out character, but this actress comes in. She's so compelling. I cared deeply about whether she lived or died, even though I knew she was going to die from the very first moment. And... I don't know, like, this episode would have been a slam dunk had we just spent the time Mm -hmm. entirely in New Vegas. We could have actually done some of that hard work. And the stand is frustrating for all of these reasons. (laughs) But for me, this was also the only episode where it ended, and I immediately wanted to press play on my screener for episode six. So for me, this Mm -hmm. is a highlight. What what nose ranking would you give it? Um... Sorry, I'm. I don't understand the ranking. Oh, that's system. okay. So they're bright red Pennywise clown noses, and five is the best. Oh, okay. And one is the worst. It's not. Yes. Isn't zero okay. the worst? Like I is zero. I, the I, worst? Worst? I, zero. I guess it should under be. The assumption that yeah. Zero is the worst. Like me giving it a <laughs> okay. one is still that's giving fair. it that's something. Fair. <laughs> there. Are, right, oh, right. this is an important distinction then. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. I. I mean, in the world of the stand. Currently, this is like a five. This is the best. Mm. I think <laughs> if we're grading on an average of like what other properties we've seen King deliver, this is like a three, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's like slightly above average. Mike, what about you? Uh, you know, I went back and forth on this one. I mean, when I first watched it, I just remember being like, oh, what a letdown from episode four. Um, just because I really love episode four. And I actually think that that actually might be my favorite episode of the season so far, or series mm-hmm. so far. Um, other than, I mean, just the first one, just because, as I mentioned last week with the clean, sp- clean slate aspects, and I'm not referencing the Dana Carvey comedy from 1984, but, um, <laughs> one of the things I, thank you for clearing I that lo- up. Yeah. I had to do that. Right. Um, I was wondering. but kind of like what Joe was saying, like as much as I don't like what they do with Vegas, I do agree that like there is some sort of depth that's being drilled here and especially talking about, you know, like Julie's character, I'm intrigued to see how I'm going to reevaluate episode six and where we're going to go from seven on. Um, 
And I do think that a lot of this stuff, as much as I wanted an episode solely in Vegas, I think what we do actually get in Boulder is pretty compelling. Um, and some really, especially directing wise, like is woven together pretty strong. Um, I, I, I like the I like the the back and forth and the cross cutting between you know, what's happening at the dinner table and Larry uh, doing his Harriet the Spy investigations. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and thematically and, and narratively, you know, the spy, the spy elements, there's some good bookends there. So I think I'm going to go with like two, uh, two clown noses here um, with maybe like, a, you know, a slot machine uh, added on, you know, to, to kind of bring <laughs> into Vegas a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. For me, for me, my, it's weird. Cause I, I think my MVP split. Cause like, I want to say ONT just because I, you know, like we were saying, like he gets the stage to play on, but just based on what Joe was talking about with like Julia, like, I don't know. Catherine McNamara is just like fucking awesome to watch. Like I just like, she's just so, she just steals the screen in ways that, mm-hmm. that there's so much energy to her but it's not like ostentatious energy because like th- that's my problem with i feel like with shawnee smith in like the 94 miniseries just like let me just scream really loud and go crazy and like <laughs> i'll steal the scream blah, blah blah but like Catherine mcnamara is not really doing that here like mm-hmm. it, it, it's more like you know some of the lines are like fucking insane and even if you like if anyone read them you just like you, i don't even know if you'd be able to s- to actually like get it out without laughing because some of the lines are just mm-hmm. insane and ludicrous but like she's able to do it in ways that not only feel true to the character but like fun like almost like tarantino-esque mm-hmm. so yeah like I, a playful sex kitten yeah so i, I think i'm gonna go with mcnamara on this so sorry owen i gotta give you a break <laughs> but <laughs> yeah there's a moment where she like squeaks and kicks her heel yeah up when they're talking about going shopping then it's yeah. like ah oh, that's just really fun to watch yeah. you know um I think I I think I'm probably going to give this a three Pennywise clown noses. And I think more because the experience of watching this episode, I did find myself really drawn in and I had like the lows were low. But like Joe, you were saying, like it was interesting to watch and it wasn't really until we started kind of pulling on the threads where I think a lot of the problems were kind of revealed to me because as I was watching it, I was like, yeah, I'm down for this. We're doing some interesting things. I don't always agree with everything that we're doing, and there were some very off-putting moments, but it was going somewhere that I really liked. And and also, the the stuff with Harold and the dinner scene, that really, really worked for me, and I really enjoyed it. And I really find myself wanting to help Harold, which I think speaks to a lot of the men that I've grown up with, which is why I think I find him so fascinating. You know, why, like, why am I really drawn to this character? And I think Owen Teague is just really kind of bringing him out in a way that as much as I love Corin Nemec, like his, his character was like the <laughs> studded bicycle jacket, yeah. you know, um, bicycle jacket, like biker jacket. That's <laughs> how the cool people jacket. say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's built for two. Um, but I, uh, and the moment at the end, like Joe, like you were saying, like I wanted to keep watching too, because one, that song just brings back so many memories and is in that smile. So he's, he's my VIP or my MVP. Your VIP. Again. Well, he's you're a VIP MVP. at Vegas. So with the I, MVP. Well, that's true. Ooh, I could be a queen. Um, <laughs> and he's been my MVP for every episode. I just, I find his portrayal of his character so fascinating. Yeah. So, well, those are our final thoughts. And that's our episode on um, 
episode five yeah. of The Stand. And next we have got um, episode six, which I believe is called The Vigil. Yes. Is that right? Yes. 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 Which I still have not seen, but um, I'm going to be watching it soon. And we are going to have a lot of thoughts on it. I will say the patience and control that all the losers have that aren't Randall and I are just fascinating. <laughs> Mel, have you binged everything yet? No, or you, I watch, you're doing week I to week watch also? when I have to, yeah, because I I'm mean, fucking real. All you, everyone is like Justin, like, that, hey. like our text threads are like, no spoilers. I'm like, I've watched this two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Right, right. Uh, I just have not had time. I know, yeah. Just been I mean, I just don't think well, it's very to, good. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's easy. Well, <laughs> to be fair, fair Jen, Jen, I know that you had to watch like what, like eight hours of the Night Stalker. So I apologize for that. But, oh, that's you know, true. Yeah. Um, and then Troll 2 yeah, as well. Yeah. So, so it never ends, um, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that is coming up. And we are also going to be doing um, coming up soon. The next book episodes are The Regulators and Desperation. And I think the order, because people in the. Um, the Discord have been asking. The order we're going to do that is Desperation and then The Regulators. Yeah. That's not the order. You have to read them in because they were released on the same day, which well, I have thoughts about that. The real way um, to read it but, is to read a page of one, a page of the other, a page of one, a page of the other. If you're right. a true fan. Oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I did it the first time. and you know, Like clutching yeah. a bottle of like Advil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what? Yeah. Put your glasses on, Michael. Yeah. 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 I, I, have, I have started Desperation finally. And I uh, got to say, I agree with the characters. Scary to be pulled over by cops. So, um, you know, yeah. there's a lot of anxiety in this. You slipped into your book. Stephen King voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Well, Joe, what do you have coming up? Uh, and so, where can we find you? Uh, okay. I have weekly episodes of both of my podcasts. And uh, the easiest way to keep track of me and both of those and all the other things that I'm up to is uh, on social media at B Stole My Remote. And that's the letter B. And you're doing recaps with Terry Menard on this show, on the stand also, right? I am, yeah. Oh, so we're what's the vibe? going back and forth. Um <laughs> he's more in line with me so we liked last week's episode as like oh this is it's finally starting to come together and we felt more positive about this episode uh and we are like michael and we have watched the next episode and we do not feel as strongly about it teaser yeah because <laughs> yeah. that's what we're doing next yeah. week. i don't know if i can put this horse <laughs> that's like, right. in a blender like i guess we're gonna have to oh yeah <laughs> We're freezing it now yeah. and making ice cubes to put in yeah, a drink go. of acid. Put it into acid. a bag, into the freezer, and yeah. then cocktails. Oh, Lord. Maybe it can reform like Terminator 2. Yeah, it could be. You know, you and know. then we can smash it again. Uh, you know. Well, Mel, what do you have coming up, and where can we find oh, you? Oh, God. Um, what a loaded question. What do I have coming up? <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, sorry. I have... <laughs> I'm going to start teaching again um, in the fall. Um, or, or it's going to be the spring, right? It's going to be yeah. the spring semester. So, yep. allegedly, allegedly, it will be the spring. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you can find me at my website, melcastle.com. If you want to read some short stories, please do. Always appreciated. Um, I'm probably most active on Twitter at melcastle. Castle is spelled like the town in Germany, K-A-S-S-E-L. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's where it's from <laughs> i know that's good it's good i like that everyone's got their the way their like little uh um punctuation it's almost like a mnemonic device right <laughs> um yeah and and sometimes i'm on the losers club and it's always a good time yeah 
<laughs> well, Mike, what's up with you and uh, Halloweenies? Well, by the time this drops, you've already uh, listened to or you've known that we've done, we did our ranking of Friday the 13th. So we've left Camp Crystal Lake over at Halloweenies, and we are now uh, shacked up in Woodsboro, California. Ooh. So we were talking about Scream all year, and uh, and you're probably thinking, like, wait a second, you're doing a movie a month, but... Wait, there's four screen movies with the five. Well, here's the thing. We're going to be doing one screen movie and then we're going to be doing Randy's recommendations in between. So, you know, we're going to start with Scream one in uh, February. Then we're going to be doing all the recommendations like, you know, the town that dreaded sundown or, you know, um, prom night in between. We still haven't figured out the schedule in between, but, you know, we got them down and we're going to be finally leading up to Scream five which I'm still going to call it regardless of how many times they're going to shove it in our mouth that it's scream. I hate that. Mm -hmm. I hate that, but it's scream five five. and it's going to be dropping January 5th and we're going to be leading right up to it. So I'm very excited because I love this franchise and I know Joe loves this franchise because it is a, it is your tradition on horror careers every January to do the next sequel. Right. So It it is true. And the, I hate the fact that we have to wait so long for the fifth entry, and yet it has worked out perfectly for us because we will cover four next January, and then we will actually be able to cover five almost immediately. Yeah. So very cool. We just cool. have to wait a full fucking year. Yeah. <laughs> it's, God. It's dropping on January 5th, and they expect me not to call it Scream 5. I know. I'm sorry. It's unreal. I just will. Yeah. It, yeah. Here, here, Unbelievable. Here's my, I mean, I'll still watch it and love it. Here's but. my prediction. If, if things actually do like get better uh which you know who knows uh the world <laughs> probably get not better but like like on but if balance things, <laughs> yeah if things improve and we actually find some steadier footing i would not be fucking surprised if they bumped it back to like october which i kind of like i kind of uh, hope they would but i don't know i, I yeah. think that they're afraid of halloween kills i know which is the, sorry this is yeah. a conversation for another time, it is right? it is <laughs> but yeah. I, I i love uh I, I just want this fucking movie out already but yeah I know, yeah. Um, well, and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials. You can find me at Psychoanalysis, um, which is another podcast on consequence. And we just dropped our, in the time continuum here, we just dropped our episode on Troll 2, Ooh. which is really really fun and kind of got me through a rough week talking about some bonkers stuff and then which was good because the next episode is on lake mungo hell and that yeah movie just terrifying fucked me right up oh, terrifying <laughs> yeah. so good yep uh, and we're talking about it for as part of our depression month and so there's a lot of feelings in that episode but everybody yeah. thought i think it turned out well and i'm excited to edit it and hear myself kind of fall apart and then put it back together. Well, it's so, a fitting month um, that you chose January as depression month. Cause it, I mean, sorry if anyone has birthdays here, which I don't think they do, but like, I, I hate this month. <laughs> Randall does. Sorry, Randall. But like yeah. this month is the worst. I've hated it ever <laughs> since I was a kid. I hate it now. It's like leaving the, the holidays this year, which I just got in such a depression. So it's, it's fitting that the, the yeah. theme is depression yeah. for psychoanalysis right now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And our first episode was on the Babadook and depression. Oh, perfect. Too, so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then after that, our comfort horror episode for the last one in January is on Ex Machina, which Ooh. I fucking Ooh. love and cannot wait to talk about. So, yeah, so check us out there. And then Losers Club, we said um, Desperation and the Regulators and Stand, Stand, Stand coming up. And we also, if you are one of the Patreons, we just started a Discord, which has been really fun. And we're talking about a lot of things Stand related, and then Desperation and Regulators, and just it's been really fun. 
And then, um, Mike, I think we've got a commentary. We do. Up, right? Yes. Our next commentary is not creep show as we, we were going chronologically <laughs> in the Stephen King adaptation universe, but we've talked about creep show so many times that if I have to talk about that movie again, I am just going <laughs> in to January. Snap. Yeah. And so we're, we're scripting right to my favorite hellhound. Cujo. So it is going to be, you know, everyone who listens to this podcast knows that the minute we mention that pooch, we all just lose our fucking heads. So it's going to be like, it's going to be like a hundred minutes of just nonsense that I just can't wait, you know? So bring your milk yep. bones and, and you're going to have rabid a fun time. For Cujo. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yep. We're all going to be rabid. Oof. Ah, uh, true. Well, and that's, that's it, it for this episode, I think. So shall we sign off with um, oh, thank you for listening, yeah. listeners. You're great. <laughs> and Joe, thank you so much for joining us. This was really, uh, really fun. I, dare I say is as fun as watching the episode. Oh, more fun. Um, oh, God. Oh, yeah. I'm more sorry. Fun, more fun. <laughs> uh, no, 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 because I did enjoy the episode. Um, anyways, now that I made it weird, let's just <laughs> You so, had too much wine, Jen. Wasn't there, Jen? I did. It's home. it's getting to me. It's getting to me. Yeah. So so we will see you over long days and, and pleasant, pleasant, pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network.